podcasting does not come as naturally as leaves to a tree, then it had better not come at all. One of his many fire lines yeah. in this movie. It's hard. Wishaw is so gentle, it's actually hard to do an impression. Uh, agree it's, with it's you, so, but... It's so incredibly I agree gentle. with what you're saying. He's like an ASMR. Hard to do an impression, but... YouTuber. I hear that voice. Obviously, Paddington is part of this, but like I hear the voice, and I'm like, I know who that is. That's Ben W. It's got a very, very distinctive. distinctive. Yeah, he's been in the pocket for so long. Yes, like he was kind of born in the pocket. Yeah, I guess. Like. I mean, look, like, I wasn't there, but I wouldn't be surprised if he came out in a pocket. Well, I was wa- watching this, and I was revisiting Cloud Atlas. I was like, oh, he's so good in like yeah. the late aughts, early tens. And I'm like, he's still good. He's still doing great work. I remember. Uh, like the two girl, cool girls I was friends with in high school saw him in a play. So this would have been early 2000s. Was it Hamlet? I think it must have been. Yes, because that was, that was sort big, of his breakout. That was his big right. thing. Yeah. Uh, and were just like upset. They were like, this is the most astounding guy in the world. And that was when he started showing up in like tiny roles in movies, like Enduring Love and stuff. And they were it's like, right you don't back. understand. This is the guy. So the Ben Wishaw Hamlet was 2004. I was 18. I okay. saw it. And it was like one of those things where when it was announced, it was like, who's this fucking young whippersnapper that they're claiming is ready to take on Hamlet? That's the thing. It's right. usually Hamlet is the role you get once you're the big boy. You work up to it. Yeah. But then, of course, the director, Trevor Nunn, was like, Hamlet's not old. Like, right. Hamlet is supposed to be yeah. in his 20s. Right. Like. And, but and it that still was, was a thing. statement to be like, we think we found a guy right. young enough with the clouts and the so, the, the grav- maturity gravitas. intelligence gravitas to be able to pull off an age appropriate Hamlet. And it was the best production of Hamlet I've ever seen. Wow! Um, and uh, it was one of those things where it's like, this will be a guy. Yeah. Even with all that said, I don't think and I like him playing John Keats. I could have seen that. Yeah. Don't think I could have seen the fullness of with Shaw's no, like well, run. Look, look, there are a lot of this will be a guy guys who don't pan out yeah. or it takes longer to pan out. Like, let me throw out two examples of people. OK, and we're going deep. So I should just say right right up top as quickly as I can. This is a podcast about filmographies. It's called Blank Check the Griffin. David, I'm Griffin. David. Uh, it's about directors who have massive success early on in their careers who experience a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. And this is a miniseries on the films of Jane Campion. It's called The Podcastiano. And uh, this is uh, her final film before an incredibly rude 12-year break from being allowed to make movies. Well, I say allowed. I, yeah, I wouldn't she say it's TV She took seasons. a soft retirement, I would say, or a, a long yeah. hiatus. She wasn't in any kind of director jail, was no, she? No. no this was no. Self, self-appointed. If, if, I mean, yes. in yeah. the cut was the director jail, the and this yeah. was sort of the director jail comeback, which mm-hmm. critically, I think, was accepted as such. Yeah. But we'll talk about this when it was released. It was released by a, uh, a distribution company, uh, uh, humorously enough, called Apparition, mm-hmm. that barely existed. Uh, that only existed for six months. Yeah. This was one of like eight films they ever released before it disappeared and they never really understood how to get things out there. So the movie did not make that much of an impact. And then she does the move that unfortunately it feels like a lot of filmmakers are stuck into now, especially for her generation where it's like, your movies don't get made anymore, do TV. Can you tell me the Apparition movies? Yes, because I did this the other day. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to get them in order. Sure. There's seven total. Right. Okay. Oh, you're looking. It's a six month. It's like October to March. Yeah. Oh, nine to ten. Essentially. Right. Yeah. Okay. The last one is the Runaways. 
Yeah, that's oh. the last major one. There were two ones after that that I've never heard of, Spider and The Square. Yes, okay. So Neither the, of which are no. uh, The Spider or David, The Square I would have gotten know. both of those, and I resent <laughs> you giving them to me. Sorry, you said the last one is The Runaways, though, and I was saying well, it's I not. was wrong, but I knew those titles. So wrong. That's, I always forget the name of it, but it's that Australian film collective that's like the two Edgertons. The, the, right. it's, it's a Nash Edgerton joint right. starring Joel Edgerton. Right. Yes. And then uh, uh, Spider is as well. They're, they're part of that Australian they're both group. Nash Edgertons, yes. Right. You're right, you're right. And David Michaud, that's that right. guy. I just said yeah, Both yeah, Edgertons, yeah. Michaud, the guy who directed Hesher is the one non-Australian guy in the group, and I feel like there's one you think other make guy. Fun of him? Yeah, all the time. This guy ain't a, yeah. ain't a nosy. Whenever he's like, when I grew up in America, they go, what? what? Yeah. Um, anyway, go Okay, on. so they those two come out post-Runaways, which is wide release, Bright Star, and then the other two are... Can you give me a hint? Uh, one is, vague, though. One is a sequel to a cult hit. Right. Uh, fuck. Oh, oh, it's Boondock, Saints 2, All Saints Day. Correct. One is a period piece... Much like Bright Star. Young Victoria. Yes. And one is a sort of genre, you know, parody comedy movie. Hmm. It's, it's a, a genre? It's a, a black exploitation. Oh, black dynamite. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, just a funny little funny little run. I mean, now I have to say this. But Apparition was Bob Burney, who just had, like, the two most incredible independent box office performances of all time in the early 2000s. He's in charge of IFC Films. They released Big Fat Greek Wedding. It makes $260 million domestic. It is still the highest grossing romantic yep. comedy of all time by some metric, right? And then he leaves IFC and he starts New Market. And New Market releases The Passion of the Christ, which for oh, 20 wow. years was the highest R-rated film of all time and breaks all sorts of other records. So there was that moment where you're like, Bob Burney is a genius. He is the master of distribution. He can somehow turn these indie films into blockbusters that outgross big budget studio films. And then he has a run after that that continues to this day where every couple of years he's like, I'm ready. It's my new company. We're going to recreate the magic. And every single time the company lasts for less than two years, releases six movies that pretty much fail to connect. Right. He gets one maybe that's like a double or a triple. Right. And then the company goes under. And it's like Picture House was one of them. Apparition. Mm -hmm. There was the one that released Drive that I'm forgetting the name of that was supposed to be more sort of genre focused. Well, I'm going to get you that name right now. He always just, has like funding from something, and they put the money <laughs> behind Film district? It must be yes. so easy to start a production company. Why well, don't I do it? If you, you should, have, friend and pictures. People just give you money, and then if you don't do anything, they're like, ah, well. Fran yeah. Films. Fran Films? Yeah, Fran why films. not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 20th Century Fran. Yeah, mm. couldn't be yeah. good. But do you want to be part of the 20th century? or do you 21st want to, century. Yeah, do you want what about be... 22nd century, Fran? Mm. I'm not dying, so that seems fine. Yeah. yeah. You're living mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. We know about forever. you. You are 23 years old. You're six foot one, and you're immortal. That's right. Yeah. Did mm -hmm. I get those numbers right? Uh, I usually say I'm 5'8". But oh, here's, the, okay. here's the thing, and yeah. we haven't talked about this. I do think I got taller during COVID, and I'm, I'm not doing a bit. I, for years, was one height and i mm. now i'm a different height when measured you got i mean, look i'm not trying to discredit the long covid you got some you got some hair height sure your hair's a little taller than it, it usually yeah. is i feel like i don't know but i feel like you're not like that. when i stand up i'm like whoa too tall i think <laughs> oh, i got you taller go like, look. <laughs> like you're sort of like you know. <laughs> yeah there's obviously right. another name you go by which is medium chicago that's true yeah well right. maybe it was moving to new york that made me tall maybe i got Something out. in the New York water the New York makes water. the bagels yeah, yeah, yeah. tasty and Fran tall. You notice I got tall. 
Well, <laughs> I haven't actually noticed, but I can check. Fran Hoffner is okay. our guest today. Fran Hoffner is our guest today, editor of Fran Magazine, yeah. obviously. 22nd well, Century Fran. Welcome to the Five Timers Club. Thank you so much. Okay. Wait. Public Enemies, Wait, Aliens. Wow. Uh, uh, fucking. Uh, the Hustle uh, Day. Which one? The Hosla Day. The Hosla Day. And what's yeah. the fourth one? I'm forgetting. The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five Timers Club. Now, you want to know something else that's wild about uh, Fran's uh, run there? What? All of those four previous movies are the movies that Ben got his nicknames from in those series. The hey. Hosla Day. Hey, wow. ben. The Great Mouse Fart Detective. Public Ben Enemies. Public Ben Enemies. Alien Ben's with a dollar well, sign. Well, so then what do we do about. Bright Star. How do we work ben. ben into that one? Bright Ben. Bright Ben isn't that good. Okay. <laughs> I think we can mm. do better. Wait, okay. hold on. Uh, white Bright Benny. You want mm. white? No, because like white hot Benny. Yeah. Right, Is Bright right. Star Benny kind of funny? Kind of funny. Yeah, it's sure. like kind yeah. of it's funny. not bad. I mean, I'm just always looking for a different format or a different way to riff on it. This is a movie that is about two things that Ben has pursued in his life: fashion and poetry. That's true, yeah. You had a big poetry phase. Absolutely, yeah. I went to the new school for, um, I guess, writing. I don't know. But you were like, (laughs) I don't know what my degree what you went there for. But you were focused on poetry at that. Yeah, no, I was taking a ton of writing classes. I wrote a lot of poetry. You were going to like poetry slams. This is the period time you talked about. No, I was going to poetry slams. You were slamming. I was never slamming. You went to Deaf Deaf Comedy Jams. You're you're getting confused. No, I didn't go to those They're basically the same. No, I would go to like, you know, uh, poetry readings. You know, like open mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open open mic poetry. And you would come with a fucking pog slammer and you'd slam it down. Yeah, absolutely. I'd throw down. <laughs> what would you call the the heavy pog? Slammer. It was a slammer. That was a joke I was making. No, I know. I, I was like, that's it. It was called the slammer. Called the slammer, right? I think so. I can't remember. I think so. I just remember when you got a good one, you were like, oh boy. Look, this is clearly a blockbuster episode. We've established many, many threads here. We have. But can I circle back to Wish Off for a moment? Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about this sort of phenomenon of like, oh, this is going to be a guy, right? If I could throw two other counterpoints of like dudes who like come out of the theater and it's like, we're telling you this is a leading man. This guy's got movie star potential, right? There's someone like Tom Hardy who very young gets like the Star Trek role and they're mm-hmm. like, look, this is a guy. And then it takes sort of like eight years for him to figure Took out his thing. Took him a while. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he was established and he works after that, but it takes eight years until you're like, oh, that's who he is. He figured out his persona on screen, right? Mm-hmm. And then not to be rude, but we were talking off mic in a recent episode about Benjamin Walker, who's a perfect example of like, oh, wait till you see this fucking guy. He's tall and he's handsome and he's a leading man. And it just has never connected. Not not on film. Not obviously. on film. Obviously, I don't know who this is. He was bloody bloody Andrew Jackson himself. And then oh. he was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. His, his, oh, big, oh, oh. his big Marvel role was that. Although he was certain. I mean, he's she's Marvel. Franchise movie, right? Yeah, guys, they've taken over movies so much that I'm calling movies Marvel. But he wow. was supposed Cloud to play Beast. He, in was, the he ex- was young X Men. I believe he was first oh. cast, right? It was being, yeah. He yes. was like literally. He was announced. Some and then it's Holt and thing. then Peters, or the I other think way he around. Turned it down. No, it's Holt the whole time. Oh, it's Holt. Peters the whole time. is Quicksilver. That's okay. Uh, it was Frazier, Kelsey Grammer himself. I was like, oh, just the the main Frazier. And then it was announced as Walker, and then I yeah. think he left it to do Abraham Lincoln. I think Lincoln. he did, and then he was in the Ron Howard whale cannibal right. movie. He did a Nicholas Sparks movie. Uh, yes. In the Heart uh, of the Sea? In yes. the Heart of the Sea. The, I gotta the Nicholas see Sparks that. Movie I would love called that. You would love The Choice. It's really, unfortunately, yeah. not good, and it really should be good. Uh, you know who else is in, in the Heart of the Sea, though? Tom Holland. Actually. 
Uh, yes, that's true. But do you know who else is in in the heart of the sea? And which one? As Herman Melville that's himself. That's right. Yeah, I was looking this one up because the whole point of in the heart the of the story is being told to him. Exactly. It's what, like yeah. it's, it's like what Moby Dick was inspired by. Right. So it starts with him visiting. I guess Hemsworth. I think it's Hemsworth. I think it's Hemsworth. Is old Hemsworth? Yeah, or whatever. Like one of them. And he's I thought like, it was Tell Holland. Me your story of. Whale. I think Holland's just one of the guys in the boat. I know, but Holland's. I thought Holland, since he's the Holland. kid, is the one who's like you're uh, seeing the no. story from, who's relaying it to Wishaw. Am I wrong about? You are correct. It is Holland. Okay, right. thank yeah. you. But the whole thing that's, with that movie I was like, is that's his fucking role in the film. Is that he's the he's young the survivor boy. who right, remembers survivor. it all? Yeah. I yeah. mean, the whole thing with that movie is you're like they're hunting whales, and you're like, I love it. Teach me how to hunt whales, and then the whale. Fucks their ship up, and then half the movie is them just stuck on the ship being like, should we eat each other? Yeah. And you're like, this is a bummer. I wanted more whale. You know? Anyway. Wishaw, uh, my point is just, he's one of those guys where some of these guys, it just doesn't translate to movies, or they just don't get the right roles or whatever it is. And Wishaw went from being like, theater hotshot, we're pegging this guy as the next dude, right? To then, like, completely acquitting himself uh, incredibly well in supporting roles, small roles in Indian for, you know, uh, indie art house movies. And then he just like every step he does properly. Like yeah. he then transitions to like leading roles in smaller films. His two franchises are Bond and Paddington. Like he has somehow come out of this not having to like pay his dues in some bullshit. Oh, but yeah, obviously the Bond is it's a supporting but, role, but, but it's kind I would argue that's sort of the best way to do it if you're Ben Wishaw. Of course. He steals Wishaw every scene he's in. He's in 12 out. minutes of those movies. Exactly. Yeah. Every no. single time. Oh, he's always perfect. That doesn't stretch him like outside of what he's good at. Yeah. He doesn't he, look silly. He's like in the pocket. Yeah. Paddington, he's in the pocket. Yeah. He's working with like blue chip directors and actors. Well, I was going to say those two movies are also the only things he does or those, you know, franchises are the only things he does where he does not seem to be actively dying as yes. a sort of his character type. I'm well, like, he's, oh, he's so robust in the big budget stuff. such a fragile man. He's withering. I <laughs> just, my thing with Wishaw. I call him Ben Withershaw. Yeah. I saw him in that um, Hamlet. Sure. I saw him with my friend Ollie, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I grew up in England. We're just going to get this right out of the way because okay. it's going to be all over this episode. You guys don't even know. But what? I did grow I up just, uh, in England. Sorry, I was just in the other room. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, from the years 1995 to 2008, lived in the country England contained within the United Kingdom, of Great Britain, and Northern Ireland. You didn't even get to see the Olympics. What? I didn't. I didn't. Mm. Who's I? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what? the structure of this. That's what you just can't. Is this a, is it an initial? Is, this a is, by initial? I, is this David Sims, Sims in the room with us now? I said, is this David Sims in the room with us now? Yeah, can we speak to him? <laughs> Knock three times. <laughs> um, and I remember when um, ben Wishaw then popped up in a show called Nathan Barley that some people may okay. remember, which was a Chris Morris, if you know Chris Morris, mm -hmm. Brass oh, yeah. Eye, Four Lions, yeah. right? Sitcom uh, that was originally supposed to be called Cunt. That's just basically. <laughs> oh, oh, whoa. Sorry. That's just basically about like the worst trust fund hipster guy ever, okay. right? It is Nathan Barley. Ben Wishaw does not play Nathan Barley. I was going to He say. plays like one of the kids at like the Vice Magazine type place he works mm -hmm. called Pingu, who Nathan Barley's always like, what? Yeah, you know, like mean to. And we were like, the guy we just saw like fucking smoke the house yeah. as Hamlet is playing fucking Pingu. Is this show good? Nathan Barley, yeah, really funny. Well, it sounds it's, great. It's, I've it's never heard of it. It's abrasive, but it's really well, funny. Well, I love Morris. So. Uh, and he was also in that thing, Griff, if you remember, 
perfume. Right. The story of, of a murderer. I forgot. Oh, yeah. Right. Where That's, he plays the damn perfume plays, murderer. Right. You know. <laughs> right. And it was like okay, so, was on him early. Exactly. Yeah. And so the vibe seemed to be he'd also played Keith Richards in the movie Stoned, which is like a horribly right. bad uh, what happened to Brian yeah. Jones. Yeah. Movie. And it was like, okay, so this guy's going to play like little squirrely weirdos, right? right? Like that's going to be his zone. Yeah. He'll do British. Right. And then he was in I'm Not There and you're mm. like, okay. Yeah. Someone's, whatever, he seems, the, the major directors are are, are, yeah. are plucking him now, right? Yeah. Like he was one of the Dylans. He's one of the six Dylans. Right. I'm trying to remember which time period he's like the one who's like arthur rambode who's like the the you know the poet right right (laughs) (laughs) yeah seriously yeah i haven't seen that movie in years that movie is i just watched that last year one of the many reasons we should do todd haynes you know know what i mean his many like weird takes on a blank check haynes was like my number nine for my quadrant of the bracket last Mm. year and i kind of regret not putting him on that's such a good blanchett in that movie Obviously, Blanchett's great, right. but you know what I mean with Haynes. Well, yeah, which one like, is Blanchett again? She's sort of the like sunglasses, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. She's the like the whole factor. Hell yeah, yeah. The, right. you know the uh, don't look the back best. type, right? Dylan, you, know. you know, this is before. I think she... Ledger is unbelievable in that I movie. Agree. I think that's like one of his most underrated performances. Yeah, I da- yes, yes, uh, and I, I, that's. I'll say this: that's maybe the most I've ever liked Richard Gere. I, I really like Richard Gere <laughs> in general, right? Uh, so I think that's a little rude of you to say, but I do love the Richard Gere moments. He's not my favorite so, movie star. I, I know but you I, don't love Richard I, Gere. Right? I think he's really good in that. He's really good. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean with yes. with Haynes, where it's like Velvet Goldmine. That's kind of a blank check. Yeah. I'm not there. Absolutely. And then Wonderstruck, of course. There are all, such I mean, a weird. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he always will it's take that his mini series thing then, we love, where it's just like every movie is a wild swing from the one before. But like. All three of the like safe is yeah. the guarantor that lets him do Velvet Goldmine. Right. You know, Far From Heaven, like Velvet yeah. Goldmine doesn't do it. He goes to Far From Heaven. That does well enough that it's like, okay, can I make this weird Dylan movie? Right. Can, and then that does badly. Right. And then Carol again. Yeah. They're like, fuck Haynes. Okay. Right. What do you want to do? I want to turn this children's book into a weird black and white kind right. of silent movie. Yeah. Like again, he'll he'll always take the swing. I and I like all of his movies. Like I I like I, all of his I, movies. I defend Wonderstruck. Except for right. Wonderstruck, which I was like underwhelmed by. Yeah. I was not Wonderstruck. But maybe I'd sure. like it on rewatch. Uh maybe. And then what was the other thing I was going to say about? Oh, Dark Water just feels like one of those oh. things where you're like, is this like cows. for hire? Is this like him just fucking like taking a steady job? Yeah, to why is from Todd Haynes making this movie? Right? And you're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. that's a quietly one of the best directed movies of the last five years. It's incredible movie. Anyway, that movie's so good. That's yeah. when I remember but like his work on that is incredible. I'm not there. Yeah. yeah, is when I remember being like, I guess Wish Shaw is going to level up. He's not right. going to just be the right. squirrely guy. Right, it's going to work. Right, you know. It's going to work. And and when he does do squirrely, he picks it well. Absolutely. Like, be squirrely in James Bond. Be squirrely cute. That's going to fucking help you. And now you don't have to play, like, a Marvel villain or whatever, you know? Like, he's got his fucking block. And then Paddington is one of those things where that movie was announced as Colin Firth. Mm. And he was recast, like, three months before it came out. Mm. He was, like, a late change. Right. That I think both helps the movie tremendously, 
Yeah. That film would not have connected the same way with Colin Firth as much as I like him. Probably not love Colin Firth. No. On paper, don't, when he was announced, really, why, you were like... Do we know why they changed? Like, yeah, was it not yeah. working? So he was announcing, you're like, that makes sense. He's polite, right? Colin mm-hmm. Firth. Yeah, lovely English And then friend. they played the movie and and uh, what's his name? Um, the Harry Potter producer. Who, David Heyman? Heyman. Yes. Yeah. Heyman just was like, look, we love Colin Firth. He's a wonderful actor. He recorded this for us. We played it. We all watched it. We all agreed. It's weird when Paddington sounds too much like an adult. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say right, he's too much right. for uh, Wishaw, Wishaw's voice. He's reads too much younger. of a man, and and Wishaw really helped us because his voice is so gentle. That light, mm-hmm. gentle voice. Yeah, you know, it's like obviously Bright Star is sort of his big follow up to like I'm not there. He'd been yeah. in that Brideshead revisited remake that didn't really go anywhere. Right. He was. In, he apparently he's in the International. Another, as you say, Tom Tickfer. Tickfer always, and him. he's got a small part in Hologram for the King. <gasps> Your favorite movie. I love time. that movie. Have you ever seen that movie, Fran? No, do you actually like it? Yeah, I Griffin do. is the only, okay. person, I'm the only person on God's Green it. Earth who's ever seen that movie. Yeah. And not only that, I've seen it multiple times. Wow. I saw it in theaters. I, would watch I it. watched it again in pandemic because I was like, am I crazy? Right. I remember am I going to rewatch this and think I would watch it's Hologram bullshit? Perking. Why not? It's, it's good. Is it better than The Circle? I've never seen The Circle. It has to be. <laughs> it's just funny that uh, to that Tom Hanks is in two Dave Eggers movies. Yes. Anyway. Hanks is also crazy good. I mean, that's the funny thing is like, we talked about how Hanks is still so proud of Cloud Atlas, and you're like, he comes out of Cloud Atlas and 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 is like, I want to work with Tickler again, right? And then he does Hologram for the King, and he's like, I want to do Eggers again, right? Yeah, and then he's like, maybe I should stop following. Okay, this. all right, yeah, okay, right. okay, okay, I get it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when Hanks was on Bill Simmons, yeah, and he's, Bill Simmons was like, give me your three favorites. And he said Cloud Atlas is right. one of them. It was truly. He's right. He's right. I know. But, and he's right. Simmons he's right to like, say it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I was thinking more like Splash, you know, like, right. you know, you could, but anyway, it was really funny. Yeah, he was. Um, love Ben Wishaw mm-hmm. is all we're, we're, we all agree. We all love yeah. him. Wishaw. So that movie is all about they're trying to sell their like. <laughs> he's on hologram. He's hologram build. What? <laughs> Wishaw plays the hologram. Uh-huh. Do you know this? That's not the true. King? Yes. The premise of that movie is that they like work for some telecommunications company, like some Zoom Skype it's, company. It's, it's hollow teleconferencing. You'll right. see the whole person. Or right. Whatever. And they're right. trying to make a sales pitch to like the, the king of Saudi Arabia. Exactly. I believe. Yes. Yeah. And so they set up this tent in the middle of the desert and the whole movie is sort of this waiting for Godot thing of like once a day, the person comes to the tent and goes like the king will not be coming today. Sure. Yeah. They have to be ready every day and he never comes. Yeah. Right. And Hanks is just sort of on this like quixotic uh, uh, kind of mission to somehow get the king's attention. He can't go through the levels of bureaucracy. Um, and they're in the middle, this tent in the middle of the desert where there are just completely empty uh, skyscrapers being constructed where they want development, but like no one's there. And Wishaw is the guy from like headquarters who's going to be the hologram in the presentation. Corporate Wishaw. So he Wishaw. is in the movie for less than three minutes. He gets and Ben Wishaw. He better, yeah. And most of his role is like watching him do tests where they're like, and throw the apple, and then he catches the apple in the hologram. Like, they just do but that's sort of like, being like Ben, yeah. we're getting you in there. It's so good. And at the end, you see him go like, thank you for our present, watching our presentation. You know? Wow. I mean, he's obviously, the thing I'm not acknowledging, which is right it's after Bright Star. The titular is, role. And pre-Paddington, um, mm-hmm. is The Hour, which is uh, this really fun oh, BBC show. Yeah, that show's great. I watched He did show. with Rama Laguerre, which oh, is about right. like... Uh, launching a current affairs show at the sure. BBC in the fifties, right? Um, so that's a that's a big one. It was a big uh-huh. Tumblr show. Yeah, people on Very Tumblr love to go show. crazy because sort of, it was sort of like right. making was, gifts people were crazy of the hour for, BBC, for Tumblr. Sherlock, yeah. and, and it's a fun show. He, he was he sort of at this point becomes and 
early thinking woman's internet boyfriend. Absolutely. Right? This is the 100%. other thing is I, I start to at this point in time here, every once in a while I'll meet someone who just goes like, he is my number one crush. He drives me insane. Like I cannot stand how much Ben Wishaw turns me on. I, I meet people over years who are just like, I know he's gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just am driven wild by him. He's he's a real cutie patootie. That's I want to say that's another unique thing about him is like he's sort of the first of that generation where it's like he comes out of drama school, he's in plays, and he is not convinced to go back in the closet when he goes to movies and TV. He's a very have you his he is a very thoughtful interview. Yes. Uh, anytime I read an interview with him, I uh just am very struck by how he's thoughtful. never giving like what feel like canned answers. Yeah. He just sure, feels yeah. like a thoughtful dude. He's married to, of course, mm-hmm. the composer of this movie. Yes. Mark Bradshaw. Oh. Right. Which is hot. hot. Pretty hot. Like even guys like that who are like art house guys, it was just like, look, when you come to Hollywood, just it's don't ask, don't tell. Uh, yeah, no, at no, the no, very no, least, no. Let's yeah. just and especially then, it. that's yeah, like yeah, on yeah, the cusp. Yeah. That's right of... on the cusp. He's that beginning wave of just like I don't have to pretend or elude this at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he's carved out just such an interesting career for himself, and I love it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be obviously, you know, big star, but he'll he'll pop up in a Mary Poppins, which uh, he which he, he he does crush. Oh, is obviously. he in? Oh, David and I both just like that movie. Sad fucking song. Well, of course he does. Yeah, he, he plays the grown up Banks child. He's the grown up oh, boy. Of course, he plays of the course. little boy, which is like it's him okay. and Emily Mortimer, which is really good casting. Yeah, like, they yeah, both feel like grown up Disney children yeah. in their Britishness. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, he's got this one scene. David sees a screening, and he's like, "I don't care for this thing at all." But Wisha has one scene where he just goes like atomic. You will not believe it. <laughs> wow. Suddenly, he just fucking grabs you. And it it decimates. It's like emotionally devastating, and it, you cannot wonderful. believe he pulled it my out of the movie. Otherwise, it, like not really gripping. You. And I look. My only issue is when I watch it and then I rewatch the movie at some point. I was like, "What are kids getting out of this?" <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, I can't imagine. But for much. Us, we're like fucking losing it. Um. Yeah. Anyway, love him. I'm trying to think of any. Well, I thought well, he was really fun. Uriah Heep and David Copperfield. See, I was. I was he's almost mm. a little too big in that for me, which is a crazy thing to say about him. Uriah Heep though is such a a big ridiculous I mean the funniest he, thing about David Copperfield is like he's like who could be fucking with me and you're right he's like I have no idea yeah 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 it's <laughs> really, <laughs> this guy but that's another movie where I I saw that I sort of like that David Copperfield but I don't know what the target audience is for it because mm. it's like a little too elementary for adults yeah I mean I saw it at Toronto pretty yeah. tired and was like I thought that was cute and I like the spirit of it yeah it's totally nice I haven't nice. remembered it very well it's just weird to see him go big, and it's sort of he's like the Hanks thing, where I'm like, I don't want to see Ben Wishaw be bad. Sure, I don't want to see this. He's gentle. Don't do this to I me. I didn't, Griff. I did not watch Fargo season. I want to say four, the Chris Rock season. Apparently, Three. He, I haven't watched it either. He's on that. He's in four. I keep That's forgetting the one I skipped. that uh, it's Chris Rock, Jesse Buckley, Jason, Jason Schwartzman, Schwartzman, Ben Wishaw, okay. and Jack Houston. Right. Three's McGregor. Okay. Three's the Ewan McGregor twins and Carrie yeah. Coon. And I've Rick never Smith seen and Thulis. Yep. Thulis in naked mode. It is. Mm, we love. Really? Yeah. In season and three, yeah, but that's. She means Mike awful. Lee's naked, not that he's oh, naked. Oh, oh, oh. I was going to say, I yeah, forgot yeah, yeah. Dong in I that. mean, Mike Lee's. He's twisted. Um, yeah. He's right, scary. Scary I mean, Thulis. So, uh, right after Bright Star 2009, then it's like Tempest mm-hmm. and the hour starts. And then 2012, obviously, Skyfall, Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. 
And then since then, it's like zero theorem. Yeah, well, he's really good in the lobster. Paddington, uh, lobster, I was going to say, is mm-hmm. really good. Suffragette doesn't exist. I remember him being good in the Danish Girl, a horrible movie. Right. He's Herman Melville, as I said. Right. He's hologram in Mary the Poppins. King. He's the hologram. That movie Little Joe kind of was a festival movie that yeah. didn't go anywhere. That right. movie Surge was a festival movie. People like movie that show that didn't with him and Hugh Grant. Uh huh. Very, oh, very English scan- scandal. Very right. English scandal. And then, yeah, and then he plays Rabbi Milligan in Fargo. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> Can no one give me the Fargo report? Uh, anyway, yeah. love Ben Wishaw. Oh, and he's doing the Iris Sachs movie now. Oh, good. Oh, that's nice. With uh, perfect, perfect match. Adele yeah. Exerkopoulos. Mm-hmm. Love and, her. Miss uh, her. Franz Rogowski. It's like a, oh. a great oh, fucking a international what? hottie cast. What is this, Are The Avengers 5? Yeah. That's About my internet boyfriend right now. Two men who've been Rogowski. together for 15 years and what happens when Ooh. one of them has an affair with He's a woman. Cute. I want to watch those three people have sex with each other. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. No, Franz so Rogowski is amazing. The other lead actors in this movie we have to talk about. One we've got, Abby Cornish who when i see this movie i'm like okay she's amazing this is gonna be a big actor well and let's acknowledge she's in two australian indies the first of which is somersault yep directed by kate shortland who goes on to di- of course direct black widow which a movie has, that was oh. definitely directed by her entirely <laughs> sure and which has also her has fingerprints all over uh, somersault has sam worthington that's the other thing so right. that's the movie that becomes sam worthington's calling card where people are like this is a sturdy oh, australian this is, man yeah, this is a new crow a new legend right and and here she is here's a new ingenue right both of them i feel like that's a calling card and two years after that, she does Candy, which is like With Ledger. Heath Ledger going back to Australia. And it sort of double verifies her as like, this is the new Australian I've leading I've seen that lady. movie. It's like a drug addiction movie. Both it's, those movies are good. She's good in it. Both it's, those movies are good. It's and sort she's of what you think really is, good right? in both of them. Right? Yeah. And then she pops up in uh, Goodyear. She drinks some wine. She pops up in Elizabeth Golden Age. She... Stop loss. Yeah, I never saw that one. This, this is yeah. the period of time where they're just like, well, she's clearly going to be a thing. Bring her around, cast her in everything. Oh. And she's one of those people where this often kind of dooms you, where she's like being put above the title as like the fourth or fifth lead in movies because Hollywood is so certain that she's inevitable. Yep. And then none of those movies kind of connect. Yeah. And it's And like... then this was the one where people were finally like, oh, that's what she does? And she's wonderful in this film. I think. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a great performance. Amazing she performance. She plays Fanny Bryce. Fanny yeah. Braun, sorry. Not Fanny I Bryce. kept on in my mind the whole movie keep on going like, it's Bryce, right? right. Um, and post this, Ben, did you like her? I'm sorry. You seemed like you wanted to say something. No? I mean, those fits. Well, well we're going to talk gonna about get the fits she's throwing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, She's throwing. But everyone she's continues in, to fail to know how to use her. In movies. She's like limitless, sucker punch. She's right. Martin McDonough likes her. The McDonough one is almost the most offensive because it's like he he should write a good part for her. He wastes her both times. Twice wasted her entirely. She hasn't been in any of his theater stuff, has she? I don't think Uh, so. I mean, like, it'd be one thing if he, like, made use of her on stage. It's just so frustrating because he clearly appreciates her talent, and both of those roles are so thankless. Her defining characteristic in three billboards is that she loves her husband's penis. That's truly like, What's a, who is this one? Mike's her tick. She can't stop talking about how great her husband is. Doesn't he have some is. line where he's like, and you have a great vagina or something? There's some like exchange like that where you're like, I don't know if this was supposed to like go over, but it just, just clunks. Well, not, and she keeps the accent too. And I remember yeah. like the... 10th wave of discourse on that movie is like why does he have an Australian <laughs> wife in Missouri that's right, like but you'll find those those folks anywhere you know I'm like that's the last thing we should complain about yeah. is it the <laughs> RoboCop remake yes which sucks that's like I think of that and obviously this is colored by my dislike of that movie overall mm-hmm. but I think of that as like the prime example of just like 
Abby Cornish, you were supposed to be a star. You never totally connected. You're still established enough that you're in the running for the reboots that aren't the top level but are C-level, and we put you above the title, and your role is completely thankless, but you're in it a lot, and it just nothing connects. She's in Jack Ryan. For a season, and then yeah. I think she's gone. But she she's, was like the female lead for the first season, and then I think that show got Numi pilled. Well, hey, it happens to us all. It happens to the uh, She's in Geostorm. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, in which she's I third build, sorry, fourth build, Gerard Butler, Jim Sturgis, they Geostorm, Abby Cornish. Yeah. We all know. Gerard Butler and Jim Sturgis play brothers. Really? Oh, in Geostorm? Great. And is, uh, is, Hello, brother. Is Abby Cornish like the president's daughter or is she like the young environmental council person? Looks like, like she's playing a secret service agent. What Who's... else has Geostorm been in? <laughs> Geostorm, you know, just did a great King Lear. I don't know. Yeah, Geostorm's uh, been in Moonfall, Geostorm. Day After Tomorrow. I would love to meet. Yeah. 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 Geostorm and Moonfall, I got to say, are just both evidence of like, if those guys are going to do these kinds of movies, scan them back, back together, together. You know, like, back they, together. they need to yeah. be. Anyway, it hasn't been the same. Because the whole thing with Moonfall is the special effects are kind of amazing. He is incredible. He knows what that. he's doing. Yeah. He and knows. Everything else is such I dog shit. I know. And you're like, you need, I know Devlin's a hack, but you need. Devlin. He at least knows how to put these pieces Devlin together for you. has that. like the hack sentimentality down pat. Right. And, uh, Right, and Geostorm was one of those movies where, like, they it, it had like some of the most expensive reshoots ever because they were like, "You fucked up all the action stuff." Right, because he doesn't know what he's doing. You had to; they had to bring in fucking second unit guys to come in and reshoot. You forgot and the Geostorm, right? That's what I'd like to. I just imagine some like Al Pacino with a cigar, yeah. you know, some old exec watching. He's like, "Where's the Geostorm?" There isn't as much Geostorm in that movie as you would want. That was the right. big complaint. Was, yeah. They fucked like, it up, yeah. and no then problem. like. Like fucking Emmerich now like co-writes movies with his composer and shit. Like they're both struggling to find the collaborator. I don't know why, don't know why they're get back doing together. it together. Anyway, the third person I want to talk about just briefly before we get into this Harry Fox is oh Paul, well, Schneider. Paul Schneider. I mean giving... Carrie Fox. Shout out, nice to see her. Right. Lovely performance. Giving Paul the performance Schneider. of the decade. Giving, a, in my opinion, yes. flooring performance. Yes, incredible. What the fuck happened here? I, I oh, okay. What happened? Huge, to this guy? humongous. Sidebar because he is one of my guys he for the two. He's 2000s. amazing. He's a genius. And it just George felt Washington like it was build, 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 build. All the real girls, right? He's, right. he's, he's one of the David Gordon Green. He's David Gordon Green, much like Danny McBride. He has a David Gordon Green uh, a classmate at North Carolina School of the Arts who has no intention of becoming an actor. He wrote all the real girls yes. with David Gordon but Green. But Gordon, Gordon Green puts him and McBride on camera in George Washington. And both of them are so good that he gives them bigger parts than all the real girls. He co-writes it with Schneider. And then that becomes a calling card. And then it's like, I know you detest Elizabethtown, but he is very good in that. He's, he's, he's totally fine. very good in Family Stone. He's like building up he's in these big in, ensemble um, casts. Uh, Jesse James. He's, my Great friend, Jesse he is James. incredible in Jesse Yeah, James. and then... He is so fucking good holding his own against people who are just like... I guess he's in so Lars. So intense. He's in Lars and the Real Girl. Is he he's kind of great the, in that. Is he kind of the straight man He's in the that? brother-in-law. Yeah. But he is so fucking... Like, that is such a good normal guy performance. That right. kind of thing I talk about being so difficult where it's like, this guy's just fucking normal. He's just like a steady dude. He's so good at that. And then he gets cast on Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. The year this comes out. Right. And you're like, wow, this will be the thing that escalates him. He's going to be the fucking straight man on this. The yeah, new he'll office. be Krasinski, right? But right. I just remember thinking when he got that role, I was like, damn, Parks got one yep. of the like most Huge. promising actors of the generation. Right. Since then, 
he's not given one film performance that's registered with me at all. No. Now, this is what's weirdest about it. I, will, I do want to say, I did see him in Straight White Men on Broadway. Okay. Uh, which was with uh, Army Hammer. Is that guy been in the news recently? And mm-hmm. uh, wasn't there someone? I don't know who someone, that is. <laughs> there was someone. It was like one of those uh, Broadway dramas yes. where they like they just built the cast out all famous to, to, to sell tickets. Right. Um, Josh Charles. Right. Right. And he was really good. And I was like, Paul Schneider, he's still good. But. He stopped being in movies. Now, what do you want okay. to say? What I was going to say is, I mean, first of all, he, uh, you know, when he's on this meteoric rise as a character actor is like, you don't understand. I never intended to be an actor. This right. wasn't my ambition. I don't think of myself as an actor. I really want to direct. I'm going back to directing. 2008, he writes and directs his movie that makes no impact whatsoever. He yeah, does well, a Giamatti. It's, it's a Pretty Bird, I yeah. think it's called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's right before this and and kind of concurrent with the Parks and Rec first season premiering. Right. Then Parks and Rec premieres. I am in a minority where I like the first season of Parks and Rec more uh, than what the show becomes after that. Wow, I've always—that's that, quite the minority. I'm aware. I know. Although I'm, I'm not Don, aware. I'm Sam Donsky once wrote a great piece about that for Grantland great about guy. like America's hottest writer. One of one of our great writers. Shout out yeah. Sam Donsky if you're listening, Sam. Yeah. You're so and I cute. Always, I miss you. The best from Twitter. But I that really made me rethink it. And that was like yeah. when Park was Parks was hitting its stride also of like it being super nice core, getting a ton of viewership. Right. Like season, Parks late eventually season three, season four. Definitely. This is the thing. Struggles. I just right. I don't really care for what Parks and Rec becomes. No. No. I think it does feel too nice core and all this shit. They, whatever, right? Like I like nice shit. Obviously. I fucking love the Paddington movies. But like I I don't love what the show becomes. I don't think the first season is great, but I think by the end of it, I was like, "Huh, they're carving out an interesting thing here that's different than The Office." And he's and then great. I think they get and he's great. And their dynamic he's is really interesting. good. In their dynamic really good is interesting in that first really season. Good. Right, and, and then, then I, immediately gets sidebarred. the show gets right. too nice. It she becomes too competent, too girl bossy, like all this sort of. Well, shit. it's the the Mike Sure problem of once he gets couples together, he's like. They're so nice together. I will right. do nothing to mess with this now. The like, show just becomes like all sweetness. I don't know. Yeah. I, no, no, I, I really don't like. I never. I don't care parts. for it. I'm not claiming the first season is a, a masterpiece, but I like what it was intending to do and what it gets close to pulling off. Mm-hmm. And I like the Schneider in it. Mm-hmm. Schneider does that first season. Season two, he's clearly getting sidelined, right? He gets paired with Rashida Jones. Right. Mm. And that's sort of like a write-off. And now, like, Chris Pratt has been elevated. Chris Pratt's breaking out. His role is no longer Rashida Jones's, like, fucking ball and chain. Right. And he's becoming, like, Bright Star. Right. Bright Star comes out. He's getting, like, critic awards. People are like, can he, won he the National be... Society Film Critics Circle. Right. They're like, can he be the guy we will into a Best Supporting Actor nomination? The nomination doesn't happen. No. They announce he's leaving Parks and Rec. And the company line is, you know, his movie career is exploding now. Right. Like this Bright Star thing is huge. And it just, we both agreed the opportunities he's getting, he doesn't want to be kept here on this show. He always will be part of the ferment of the show. We'll have him come Maybe back. Maybe he'll come back. He's right. being transferred he'll, he'll to different divisions. Yeah. yeah. Right. And what happens is his film career completely flatlines. And when he does interviews years later, he was like, I was unceremoniously fired from that show and they never once offered to bring me back. That was this weird company line where they said, like, he will still exist in the universe. He's transferred divisions. He'll come back in. There was never any overture at any point in time. I would have done it. Right, right, right. Well, But, but it is bizarre that he does do stuff. Yeah, he's in stuff. But and you've done like, some TV. Why has no one known how to use him for the last 12 I years? I don't know. I don't know. He's Do so you know? good. He's, well, he's so just, good. Uh, part of what's amazing about this performance is that 
it's sort of just a normal guy performance yes. in a period piece, Absolutely. which I think period pieces often yeah. forget to have, or they forget that just like people in the past were kind of normal also. Yes. It, and it, and it's a part that people could, that most people play so arch. What is so disarming about it is that he absolutely avoids the archetypes of how this type of guy is played the in bore. terms of the narrative function. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yes. The problem. Yeah. Right. Right. It's 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 a real like Renoir, like the great tragedy of the world is that everyone has question their reasons. Had yes. you ever seen this movie before? No, I had not. Right. I thought I remember, I thought I remember that. This was yes. your first watch. Correct. But you were aware that Paul Schneider was in it and you oh. had maybe heard me say that he like hits eight three pointers. No, and I knew that. And it's <laughs> like <laughs> that I'm like, you don't understand. This guy just absolutely pounds it. It, it had been like a stupid blind spot of mine, especially because I was so such yeah, a Paul were, Schneider fan you were for the last in... decade plus. Yeah. He was the biggest appeal for me and I don't know why I never got around to seeing it. Can I just say like 10 years ago, whatever it was, um, my friend, uh, uh, Kamen Valkovsky, former mm-hmm. uh, trivia teammate mm-hmm. of ours, mm-hmm. uh, who's a great uh, AD, has worked with some of the best directors, works with David Gordon Green all the time and all sorts of fucking rad people. He was on, he was the AD on a movie this year that was insane and I forget what it was. Well, I'm going to look it up for you right yeah. now. Kamen's uh, uh, been doing like The Many Saints work. of Newark or Halloween Kills? Well, he was second unit on those. Sure. Maybe it was both of those. I don't, I don't know. know. He, 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 he is great. Dead Don't Die. He That's is, pretty cool. He does awesome stuff. Great. But uh, he was like, I'm going to go see Holy Motors with my friend. Do you want to come? Sure. And I like go see Holy Motors as I often want to do. I am late and I get there right as the movie is like starting. So I like come in in the dark and like cozy up next to comment and watch to me this movie. Times, right, right. That is like uh, I believe that's how we met was me showing up late to Correct. a movie, uh, and uh, we uh, I slide in there. I watch Holy Motors, fucking profound experience, amazing movie. Lights come up and we're just like, holy shit, that thing is incredible. And then I look over and the friend next to him is Paul Schneider. Oh my hey, god, Paul yes. And then Paul Schneider and I take the subway home together and talk about fucking movies and shit. And it was just like. This guy rules as much as I want him to. I'm such a fan of his. His entire perspective on acting and film and like his excitement over that movie is so infectious. And I'm like, this guy, right. This guy is the fucking best. He's the coolest guy. Right. And uh, that's the only time I ever met him. Sure. But even more so since then, at that point in time, I was like, huh, weird that Paul Schneider has been kind of laying low for the last three years. But then that, it doesn't seem so weird if it's just been a couple of years since your last movie. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. And then the last nine years, I'm just like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, look, if you look at his thing, it's like he's been in some movies, although yes. really since Rules Don't Apply, which I forgot he's in that, right? Uh, which is 2016, he's only done a couple of films. He's done, since then, you know, he was in that movie, that TV show Channel Zero that was the sort of like, um, uh, fuck, what's it called? Creepypasta show? Oh. Was that with the Tooth Man? The, the, I always there had to see the Tooth, tooth man, man, and then they did Candle Cove. They would they sure. would do adaptations of famous creepypastas. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I forgot the two things that he's in. What was the in. other one you said? Candle? Uh, Candle Cove, which is sort of this idea of like, do you, don't you remember that we used to watch this disturbing TV show when we were kids? And oh, then like and everyone's forgotten about it, but it's some show we watched. Oh, yeah. sure, okay. You know, classic creepypasta. I forgot that the two things he does after uh, Bright Star slash Parks and Rec Neither which connect, but felt like they were on the path of his career as water for elephants. Where he's the superstructure. Yeah, he's the water. I don't. (laughs) I don't fucking know. The movie is told by, I believe, Hal Holbrook playing old Robert Pattinson, of course. Yeah. And Paul Schneider is the guy interviewing him. He's like the Bill Paxton of the Titanic. Hal Holbrook is actually a time traveler, and he is actually old Robert Pattinson. Of course. Yeah. Um, 
and then away we go. Intended it himself. Fuck it. Sorry. Away we go felt like, oh, Paul Schneider's playing one of the fucking relatives. Like he probably kills it in three scenes. And then that movie just doesn't exist, doesn't connect. Yeah, the only movie the thing that movie killed was quality. But right. He like does the baby <laughs> makers. Oh, okay. <laughs> he does the baby makers. Away he went. Which is a Jay Chandrick Sakar movie with him and Olivia Munn. He does Flowers of War, which is that hugely expensive uh, isn't it Zhang Yimou? Yeah. That like doesn't connect. Yep. Uh, Christian Bale and uh, right yeah, Cafe Society. He's got a big role in Russo and Apply. He's got a fairly big role in, but both of those movies are huge flops. Yeah, that's uh, it. yeah. You know, he was in uh, three episodes of Nos Four Ah Two Five David's episodes spelling of out Tales from the Loop. <laughs> well, was... the, the license plate, sure, which we've talked about not existing. Two episodes yeah. of Assassination yeah. of Gianni Look, I, I it bums me out simply because I think he's a very talented guy, and this performance is so special to me. Here's another think thing about, about this performance. Mm. You're just like, and I, I had heard for over a decade that he was amazing in this. Mm-hmm. You're just like, there's no way he's going to pull off the Irish accent. He's got such a specific Southern drawl. Paul Schneider, mm-hmm. and he can sort of shut it off and do like low energy, like mid Atlantic, right? But you're just like, Irish is tough. Most American actors who have tried to do Irish really embarrass themselves. Like it fucking demolished Cruz and Kidman, who's Australian, right? Mm-hmm. His accent's so fucking good. It's amazing. His accent's great. Um, so good. But it's as. Fran said there is like something modern about his performance Very. that maybe shouldn't work, but totally does. I yeah, guess. because I mean, yeah. he's playing a boorish character, but he's yes. also showing why some people like hanging out with boorish people. Yes. He's not completely repulsive. He's I a, find him pretty seductive. He's it. like yes. playing a trust fund kid. He's a yeah. fairly good Who's like hang, not bad intention, but is mad. He's the guy that when your friend is like, ah, you're like, I know, but you know, he's fun. He's or, like, you actually, know, like, he's not a bad guy if you get to know him. This right, is a exactly. movie about having a boyfriend with a roommate. Yeah. And like that roommate <laughs> could be anything. So this movie, it's directed by Jane Campion. She also wrote it. Mm-hmm. It's called Bright Star mm-hmm. after one of John Keats's poems. It's about mm-hmm. the poet John Keats. Mm. Do you know John Keats? Died young. Died young. Who died young. Famously died young. Live sad, age die of 25. Young. He did live sad. He did die young. Um, romantic poet. Classic romantic poet. Probably the most classic in that he had this tragic life and death. Sure. There's Byron. There's Obviously Shelley. Got Percy Shelley also died super young too, he, I think. He, he's crazy. Yeah. He's a crazy guy, that guy. Well, he Byron, died at sea, which is quite romantic. Well, mm. I was reading something that said he died holding on to a Keats poem that there was one like they in were, his jacket look, they, they were, were really that he kept with him always wow. and then drowned with I it. will say wow. was it poem What's in more your pocket day than when that? he died hmm? was it poem in your pocket day when he died yeah, yeah it was poem do you folks remember that did you no. ever do that in school what? what no I don't know what you're talking it's like, about it's, <laughs> like, <laughs> kidding. it's one of these things that I feel like whatever like poetry association has tried to make like an informal holiday for like 25 years and it's never really connected yeah where they're like, you don't know that like April twenty third is poem in your pocket day, and you're supposed to carry a poem in your pocket to like reassert the power of poetry. Huh. I, I remember my school pushing carry, like, it on me once or twice. Milton, you know. I mean, Paradise I went to a lost the school. whole book. Yeah, <laughs> you carry the yeah. whole. So Jane Camp, a heavy pocket. Oh, yeah. Let's give. Let me give you a little. Obviously, she does in the cut, and then takes a sabbatical mm-hmm. from filmmaking, partly cool wounded movie. by the poor reception of the film. Just that it's it just doesn't really get a shot. It doesn't get a fair shake. But also partly because she's got a nine year old kid and sure. she's like, I've been doing this. Um 
And uh, apparently she got into meditation. Mm. Uh, she made a couple of short films, something called The Water Diary that's in a series called Eight. Okay. That had like Gaspar Noé, Gus Van Sant. I don't know. Never heard uh-huh. of that. Uh, and something called The Ladybug, which is part of To Each His Own Cinema. Okay. IMDb entry classic where you're always yes. like, what's this other movie this director? Oh, it's oh, some right. massive anthology yeah. film. Um, that's how she meets Greg Frazier and Mark Bradshaw, who she collaborates on this movie. Greg okay. Frazier, obviously, who I think is one of the top directors of photography working today mm-hmm. but this is maybe this is his first particularly this is his first movie really this is his breakout yeah, yeah. i mean he'd made little movies before them but uh he, you know this movie is so beautifully shot of course he shot dune last year mm-hmm. he's shooting the batman this year like he has graduated mm-hmm. to like the dp everyone wants zero dark 38 shot mandalorian and rogue mm-hmm. one um so that's fox she- catcher which is a beautiful looking movie oh, yeah. killing them softly where's yeah. he when she does Where's, Where's who? who? Bennett Not Miller? Fox. Chillin'. Yeah. Is he chillin'? Like a villain. He we was recently need him back. He was yeah. recently papped with Channing. They had lunch in Soho or something. Cool, cool thing to do, first of all. Seriously. Uh, we need him back. He has been working on... Fuck, I looked it up. Because Fox, Foxcatcher was like 10 years in the making, and the only reason he made movies sooner was because Moneyball got thrown to him. But he mm. takes a long time fucking developing shit. Just He's because those... we're on topic, one of my close friends back in Chicago uh, once did one of the more deranged double features of mm. Paddington and Foxcatcher, just back to back. And is always like, this is the weirdest day of my yeah. life. Cool thing to do. Ben uh, Miller, he's one of those guys who's basically like, I don't like this enough to do it all the time. Like, it's a right. lot for me. So I take I, my, I think he's, he's trying to get a Christmas Carol made. Right. He's, he's long doing had like a, a Christmas very, Carol project. Right. right. But I think he's doing like a very sober. I believe that's grounded. the idea. It would be a very realistic okay. or something. I don't right. know. But anyway, but it's one of those things that like God knows if he's actually still working on sure. that or if that's just the last thing he was trying to make. I up. think he's also one of those guys who surprisingly does pretty anonymous TV commercials for a lot of money. Well, Good for him. Gotta like make l- where where you just be like, oh, he does the Lexus campaign. I hope Channing Tatum showed him Dog. Channing Tatum has a film called Dog coming yes. out. That oh, he directed, I know. Right. And I recently saw a quote from Soderbergh that was like, I saw it. It's good. And yeah. one other Tatum collaborator was like, yeah. yeah, I gave him some notes. I hope he showed it to Ben. I'm Miller excited. Well. I'm really but excited. But like I I. Like James Gray does a weird amount of like Revlon ads. Sure, sure. Where mm-hmm. it's just a movie star being like, what's my secret? And you're like, this is just shot by a photographer. Like, the, the, anyone could do this. There's no narrative. I think Ben Miller does a lot of that type of shit. And doesn't he date an Olsen twin? I don't know. Maybe. Okay, um, cool. I think he does. Uh, I can look it up for you. I think he dates the one who is not. He dated Ashley Olsen. Are they not still together? Not seeing anything post, like, 2014 about this. So I don't okay. know. Okay. But they definitely in dated the money at ball some era, point. Though. She was in her late yeah. 20s. He was in his 40s. Sort of his muse. Uh, she was his friend. Um, while she's making in the cut, Jane Campion reads Andrew Motion's um, biography, Keats. A yeah. Biography. yeah. Uh, so she gets, she says, I'm not like a poetry expert, but I'm very drawn to this relationship he had and these mm. letters they wrote each other. Sure. With Fanny Brown. Which are not published until after she dies. Her kids published. Right. Right. Um, so she's sort of like, re- that resonates with her. Uh, so she's thinking about that. She wants to make a movie about younger people. That's interesting mm. to her. Suddenly mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they're in their early 20s. That's why Greg Frazier is in his 20s. Mark Andrews is in it. Like she's collaborating sure. with younger people. So she, maybe and she's a, got a, she's got a younger a daughter. Reboot. Yeah, yeah. She's seeing things through a younger person's eyes again, maybe. Yeah. That she's got her younger daughter, who right. I believe she homeschooled at least for a little while. Uh huh. And um, she was in 
some of those short films, I think. Possibly, sure. Right. That makes right, sense. I think that's when she starts acting. Yeah. Um anyway. Is Ginger and Roses the same year as this? The year after? Which is Alice's twenty twelve. So it's a couple film. years later. Okay. Okay. Right. I have no sense of time anymore. Hmm. Um anyway, so she's doing tons and tons of research. So that's mm-hmm. another reason this takes a while. She did say I was drawn to Percy Shelley as well mm-hmm. because he's got a crazy story. Um, but uh, with Keats, she liked that there's innocence and purity with his story, that he was so sweet. He was uh, inquiring. He was interesting. He was a passionate friend. I think she was sort of interested in making a non-sexy movie that's still romantic, but isn't... It's sort of defined by its chastity. In a right, way. yeah. yeah. Uh, that was uh, not as daring in yeah. its sexual content. Um, it's dongless. I mean, we should just say it is a dongless movie. film. Um but based, you know, I just feel like she's sort of semi-consciously, semi-unconsciously swerving away from sure. her last couple of movies, right? Sure. Now, you... Yes. No, I agree. Now, I just want to say, because uh, I had never seen this film before, uh, I am, you know, famously uh, bad at time management, infamously bad at time management. And uh, Wait, my... I'm sorry. I was just in the other room. What? What, 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 what? Was, what, was just what are you talking said? about? You? Did you watch this on 1.5 speed or something? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. I <laughs> didn't. I swear to God. It wasn't that bad, okay. but my plan was to watch this uh, last night. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, all right. Okay. So I said this to Fran in the car while we were driving up. I was so worried about this. Yeah. Because yesterday you and Ben watched all four Jackass movies. We went to a Jackass-a-thon where we sat in a theater at the Museum Moving Image and watched all four Jackass movies and then a, a q I didn't ask Griffin this. Yeah. But I was thinking... Because I know you like to watch the movie. I'm not blaming you, but like, it would have been wise, probably. Face from Fran. If one of the two of you texted me on Tuesday or Wednesday and said, like, you should watch this before the Jackass marathon, I'm not blaming you. Nor should you. It would have been to the (laughs) benefit of the show. Because I watched four Jackass movies, then Ben and I got dinner, and then I went home and I tried to watch Bright Star, and I was like, I cannot adjust to non- Yeah, that's insane, Griffin. No shit! Right, I was, I I had to watch Jackass 2.5 in order to fall asleep, because I was like, Jackass is the only thing I understand now. So then I woke up early and watched this. Okay, well, I mean, I was just afraid you weren't going to pull that off. I was assuming that was your plan all along, I did pull it off, but I was just like, this is a a dreamy movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like watching a drinking coffee being like, okay, come on. You know, I like maybe was less alert than I wanted to be for a movie that very much lulls you. Here's my advice. Yep. Don't watch the movie day of. I know you say that, but my fresh takes, yeah. the fresh takes. Anyway. <laughs> but sometimes things like days later hit you in the shower or something. Sure. You know? That's Look, true. I, that I tried not to watch it day of. I tried to watch it last night and I was like... Where are the nut shots? What is this? Is not a movie. This is not how movies. We put work. a bunch of butterflies in a room. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> um, so I am Keats. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm John, John Keats. Keats. I mean, he, look, the butterfly farm, in fact, is one of Campion's inventions. Okay, uh, she I'm, admits like there definitely was not a butterfly farm down there, sure. but mm-hmm. he liked butterflies and wrote about them. And I was like, there should be some butterflies. Yeah. Cool thing to do. Um. Uh, but but obviously this is also post Holy Smoke and In the Cut, which are contemporary films. Her returning sure. right. to beautifully costumed films, and boy, is it beautifully costumed! Don't you agree, Ben? Absolutely. Uh, I don't remember the name of the, char- it's only the, of the character, but she's Fanny? like a seamstress. Fanny, Fanny, 
is an inc- has incredible looks. She does, and people are mean about them. You know, all yeah. these poets are like, "Oh, you make clothes." You know, she they're, does they're a look little sort snooty. of like Mad Hatter, White Rabbit in that first scene, and then it's kind of all normal from there. But, but the movie no, starts with her loudest outfit. Yes. I would say I that do like red. her outfit, and it yeah. is sort of like her outfits are always ten percent louder than what everyone else is wearing, yeah. especially totally. the women, right? Yeah. Like you know, you definitely are always noticing like, oh, she's like. A little avant-garde or whatever. Her that, hat game, like the hat, the hat game, is crazy. I mean, you do always in in the way where, like, I think all these characters are made to feel very normal in a period setting. I think having a friend who's always showing up in one insane accessory, yeah, right. the Ben, for instance, you know, sure, like that's a normal thing to have. She also like much like Ben does with his closest friends when she meets him is like, you should really be wearing velvet and like a darker blue would look good on you. <laughs> Ben is always trying to give you an eye fashion advice. He wants to, like, restyle us. I got to tell you some news that just came down the wires. It's really good news. Okay. David Lynch has joined the cast of Steven Spielberg's upcoming film, The Fablemans. What? Isn't that cool? That rules? Undisclosed, guarded, secret role. Wow. Anyway. Isn't that the best? Isn't this movie going to be the best movie And it's Friday, too. That's true. That's great news. (laughs) TGIF. That just broke. Uh, Anyway. Okay. Uh, Fanny does throw some great looks. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So she puts the money together with and this. Is, of course, that's the only Oscar nomination this movie gets. Yeah, costume costume. It's sort of an Janet undeniable costume. It doesn't nomination. win, does it? And then no. this is Janet Patterson's last credit before she passes away. I mm, good question. We we shouted her out in a previous episode, but most of her career is campion. She does very few films outside right. of campion. She was both the costumer and the production designer yes. of this film and, and was she, like fairly reclusive, never did interviews, never went to award shows. She no, she it's not. Her last film, because she actually uh, did the costumes for the wonderful Far From the Madding Crowd. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, Hell yes. Thomas I love that Thomas Vinterberg's Far From the Madding Crowd, which rules. My, I love that movie. That's my insane double feature where I saw that and Age of Ultron in the same day. Wow. She's going to have a stroke. Um, I love that movie. Wow. Uh, she died in 2016. But obviously, as we said, right, she rarely Wow, she I didn't realize worked. that. Yeah. Madding um, Crowd reminds me a lot of this movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, a little bit. Well, I mean, was that good and Schoenarts and Mulligan? Correct. Okay. Um, good, Matthew. Good. No, it's, no, well, it's Schoenarts though. It's right? Michael Sheen, oh, Schoenarts, right. and then uh, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, and then oh, Tom, Tom Sturridge. Tom Sturridge. Remember Is him? Matthew Good not in that? Am I wrong? No, not even a supporter. What am I confusing no, that good. with? Something else at that good. time. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, you movie do about Juno having Temple three... though. Your favorite. Oh yeah, Gino. oh I, yeah. I mean, it's I a movie about having three boyfriends. The young Victoria Sandy Powell beat it. Lame. Anyway, weird. Uh, T- two apparition costume nominations. As I was going to say, this that's film, what crippled them. You know? And they're out of put together yeah. some right, money. Two, campaign, two costume campaigns they thought would translate yeah. the box office. Pathé and BBC funded it. Apparition mm-hmm. released it for some reason. Okay. This film. Okay, so I was confusing it with Brideshead Revisited. Anyway, well, that's the one that good is in. Okay. Far from the Madding Crowd, one of the greatest scores. Craig Armstrong. Oh, so good. Incredible score. No, I gotta if, rewatch. If, great. Anyway, Tom Hardy just a bit more of a bummer. You know, he his. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, <laughs> Thomas Hardy. Not not like Tom Bane. Hardy, Thomas the actor. Yeah, Tom Hardy's a great time. Yeah, he is a great time. He should do a Tom Thomas Hardy adaptation though. Yeah. Hardy and Hardy. I wonder the Hardy if Boys. he has. Because he used so. to do BBC stuff for a second. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh anyway. Bright Ooh, he'd Star. Be so good. So I grew up in England. Beyond that, what? I grew up in North London. 
Beyond that, what? I actually grew up in Kentish Town, which hilariously in Bright Star is the sort of slum he moves to when he can't afford the the old. Residence. Oh, where he what? goes to die of yeah, tuberculosis. Yeah, he's like, oh, Kentish Town is all I can afford, and I'm like, damn, Kentish Town is, cleaned is up. Is there a, um, a good t- a dying town around? I mean, Kentish Town is a little more of a sort of like. Well, I mean, these days I think it's pretty fancy, but when I lived there, it was a little more, you know, mm-hmm. sort of fringy. But uh, anyway, Got it. Uh, but Kentish Town very near Hampstead Heath where okay. most of this movie takes place. Sure. And a classic walk that I did one billion times mm-hmm. was you can go in the Heath, and it's like, where are we going to go? You can go to Kenwood, which is like yeah. a big old house. Yeah. You can go over there, South and Green, and get, get a cookie, maybe. Mm-hmm. We do that a lot. Or you can go to you Keith's house. Or you're saying, you mean oh. biscuit. You can go to Keith's house. You can go to Keith's house, which okay. is where this movie takes place. Yeah. Now, they did not shoot it there. Because it's too small, I think. Campion was like, this is like... Sure. So they shot it actually in this estate sort of just outside of London. But okay. you can go to Keats' house, which yeah. is where this motherfucker lived and was flirting up a storm with Fanny. Uh, Sir Finn, which and I once got lost in Hempstead Heath for like three hours. It's my, it's my favorite park. But like the sun had set and we like really oh, didn't know how there, to get out no, of it. Ooh, it's Ooh, a little scary. nasty. You don't want to be in there tonight. No, yeah. no. And we could not find our way out. We're both very easily confused men. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. It's not great when we're together without adult supervision. <laughs> what were you going to ask? So when they're in Hampstead Heath and he's like, I have to go into London for this, how long is that taking them? I think given that this film is set in what, 1818 or whatever, I think back then, you know... Like Hampstead, obviously Hampstead now is basically almost inner London, but at the time it would have been like twenty minutes to half an hour in a freaking cart or whatever. Okay, right? okay, you know, like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's know. like Astoria. Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hampstead, obviously, very, very fancy neighborhood now. But yeah, back sure. then, you know, it was like... It's well, when they're the just like, you know, he commuted back from London in the rain. It's like, okay, is this half a day he's spending in the rain or it's Look, 20 minutes? I he's a big baby. I don't know how okay. long it takes in a goddamn horse. Just, this is the problem. Okay. I don't have horse speed. I mean, you know... And was he not under the covered part? Was that the issue? I think he walked. He just Oh, walked. if he's walking, that's a pretty yeah. long walk. That's also, what I'm I mean, saying. Like, if he's walking that... To how central much London? Sure. That's, that's, that's a couple hours yeah. at yeah. least walking. Okay, yeah. I guess I'd get tuberculosis too. But even if he was under the... <laughs> I'm John Keats and this is uh, getting severely cold. Uh, cold <laughs> this is getting way too cold. <laughs> this also, is also, getting a wet chill. this like suede and velvet. It's just sucking the water know. in. You know? know, like it's only just going to mold you up, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Hampstead Heath. So you've been in Hampstead Heath. It's this gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, like, you know, untamed park in yes. the middle of London. It's yes. massive. Right. It's like It's like a wild kind of undeveloped central park it's so right? good yes uh and it's my favorite spot and it's yeah. so nice to see it that's one reason i love this movie but i also just it's keith's house it's worth visiting if no one's been it's lovely to visit and then of course if you're in rome you can visit the keith's house there where he died mm. have any of you ever done that no no because obviously he went there to you know supposedly warmer weather you'll convalesce and that's yeah. where he dies and it happens off screen in this movie did that help in the past, when they were like, "You got to go to Italy to cure your disease." I mean, Italy seems like a nice place to go. Maybe it cheer you I get, up. I, well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This is I've been rereading some I mean, like it's very you know you needed to breathe right. So maybe they were just I don't I don't know. You know I've been reading some Ferrantes, and they love mm-hmm. to be like, "Oh, you got to go to the beach, and that'll fix all your issues." And I'm sure. like, "Do some we know that that works, or is it just sort of like, yeah, go on vacation, you're sad?" Look, I had a lot of this movie triggered a lot of uh, uh, existential uh, sort of uh, jags of thought for me. 
and one of them, and this is not the first time I've I've had this observation, realization, I should say. But watching this movie, I was like, right. I, before modern medicine, I would have been dead by twenty five. Oh like, sure, <laughs> you, you, you would something would have knocked right. You like off. John Keats, right. you're like tragically dies at twenty five. What happened? Was there an accident? No. Did you see this guy? This guy was so <laughs> fragile. There's like <laughs> knock him over with a feather. Right. right. He is not like survival of the fittest. This guy is not. Built we didn't know to about be able vitamin to withstand D. the elements. We didn't know about hydration. Right. You don't. You don't have fucking like uh, I don't know North Face jackets and shit. I you just, know. I just want to reflect. It, it's. I was just talking about this with my wife last night after watching Bright Star for the like tenth time. My point is just something like go get some sunlight. Is like I don't know. That's a fucking. It can't make it oh, worse. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Who, <laughs> right. exactly. Who's what it fucking right. like, yeah. Yeah, breathe this the ocean in? God, like, on his bones. I want that doctor now. Who's like, I'm sorry, I have to prescribe you going to Italy <laughs> right. to fix what's wrong with you. Yeah. You hand it to like Delta and they're like, okay, all in order. You're yeah. in first class. <laughs> like, what can I tell you? Um, my mom, I would walk with my mom in Hampstead Heath a ton. Because she, <laughs> whoa, you know, when I'm a teenager or younger, yeah. but you know, it'd be like, like, let's fucking take a walk, you know, kind of her thing. I'm just like, come on, like, mm-hmm. you're not sitting around the house all day. Right. And I just think now, and like I remember, she'd be like, "Where do you want to go?" And I would be like, "I want to go to HMV, like, because you could exit Hampstead Heath, you could walk up the hill to Hampstead, and I could go to a record store." Mm -hmm. Like, and she'd be like, "You know, so sometimes maybe I get to do that, but often we'd fucking go to Keats House or something, right?" And I just remember when I was a teenager, I was like. Oh, I don't want to go, you know, stupid poetry house for like the hundredth time. <laughs> it's like a four room museum. They're like, John Keats still lived here. You know, cool. Yeah. No news. <laughs> like, yeah. But it's a lovely little spot. Sure. Now I'm like, it's so enriching that I did. You know, what a I good know. thing for me to have done, you know, to fucking look. Did you thought proclaim about- when you were there ever? Did I, you go, I- oh, it's this branch. So beautiful, you know, like, did you... I should have done more of that, yeah. probably, Look, instead of thinking about video games I wanted to buy David, or whatever. you and I both grew up with very cultural parents, right? Yeah, sure. Who I imagine you similarly had a childhood of them constantly trying to, like, expose you to things. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Sure, and I yeah, just, right. much like you, like, it's an absurdly privileged position, right, to live in a place where you have access to this and parents lovely, who, like, city, try to expose you to these things. things. And right. I also just had such fucking frustration with, like, you're making me look at some other fucking old dude's house again. I don't care about this. I mean, shit. to be clear, I do was I a, get to go to the toy store afterwards? You to go Am to I going to get to see Charlie's right. Angels afterwards? I wanted to see, I also wanted to see, but like, right. to be clear, I was a good boy and I would. You know, but I, but I remember that I would be a little stick in the mud yeah, about. Yeah. But I will say, and I love Keats House in London, and anyone who's in London should check it out. It's a lovely spot. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say, Keats House in Rome, where he died, yes, is like maybe my like favorite, or like one of those places that has had the biggest emotional impact. It is crazy, really, because uh, it's so small. Yeah. It's in this gorgeous. It's right on the Spanish Steps. Like it's in a gorgeous part of the city, mm-hmm. and you just go in there, and it's so quiet. And there's this little bed where he died. I'm like. I'm feeling it just thinking about it. And you're just like, he thought he was a failure and he just died. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like he just was just like, nobody gives a shit about me. You know, it's so sad. And he was like the greatest. Yeah. And you're just, when you're in there and it's all content, you're just like, this is insane. Like that this happened this way and it's perfectly like maintained and shit. And then they're like, and when the Nazis fucking invaded, we had to hide all his shit so they wouldn't like burn it. (laughs) You know, like it's such a good museum. And you just think about John Keats. It's crazy. I mean, look, I'm such a fucking sap. Yep. And it's some of the corniest content in the world. 25 years old. I'm 35. 
I got 10 years on John Keats. What do I got a show for it? A podcast with Griffin Newman? You think he'd like that? Unbelievable. Uh, but no, I would say <laughs> like it. He might, maybe he would. Oh, jolly good. That's what he'd say. Someone to listen to, and he's walking back in the rain. You know, What's, suffering, what, laughing. Who is Qui Gon Jin? <laughs> I mean, he probably loves kissing. I mean, he definitely does. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, the guy's pro kissing. Yeah. Yeah. nothing else Absolutely. we can talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, I was just gonna say they're the two. I think they're the only two, and I think he wrote both of them. Richard Curtis Doctor Who episodes. The the Van Gogh one. And what, Charles Dickens. Yeah, sure, right. Where both of them, he does the beat both times, and both times it's effective, where the guy's oh. like, nothing I do fucking matters. And Doctor Who, like, tells them, like, you don't understand. Like, the one, like, the Van Gogh thing where the whole episode's him and, like, the well, final They take him to the museum, and it's like... Bill Nye's, like, the curator, and right. he's giving the thing, and he shows him, like, the appreciation for his work, and Van Gogh realizes his life is not meaningless. And with the Dickens one, he, like, tells him, he's like, just tell me one thing. Like, does my work last? And, and Doctor Who gives him the fucking romantic Curtis monologue about how much his work matters forever. And in both cases, it's, like, beautiful. And this is a movie that is, like, full of profound tragedy of the guy just never getting to know, obviously. He doesn't know. Like, fucking Curtis wants to give you the corny Doctor Who thing where the guy gets to find out and doesn't die suffering, you know? I hope the Richard Curtis Dickens doesn't find out about the people in my MFA program. In, who were pitched reading Dickens, who said, who gives a shit? Um, he's sure, got to sure. not find out about he that. He doesn't right. find that out. Do you think Dickens would be into cancel culture? Well, they they came for him. You can't cancel me? I'm just trying they to came for, It was one of the big him fights. being on Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> These motherfuckers are trying to cancel me. I wrote Oliver Twist. It was one of our big MFA fights with the poets and the sure, fiction people. Is, like, what, is, what is the point of still reading Dickens? Yeah, Because it fucking rocks the house. It was an MFA so fight good. that almost turned to an MMA fight, right? That's right. Like, <laughs> That's right. I mean, I love Bleak House. I'm a big Bleak House stan. Bleak House rules the first detective story ever written. Inspector Bucket. Mm. Yeah. Um... Anyway, we're not yes. here to talk Dickens. No, no. I, I was just saying. As much as I love me. This is a Dickens movie. Dickens miniseries? This is a movie that has the cloud of franchise. This is a movie that has the cloud of the sort of like, he's never going to get to now. Right? Right. Absolutely. Uh, of course. And and this relationship is going to remain unfulfilled. And, and his well, life is all about you know, promise. And, I think for most people watching the movie, you know that he died at 25. So the whole movie has this kind of like ticking time bomb so it's much of his legacy yeah, yeah. He, and he's a sweet guy who's doing a silly dance for his pals for sangster yeah for he's sangster giving sangster some have fun have you guys talked about him on the show i don't know if we've had a sangster i wrote that swerve. in my notes he sangster was segue. supposed to play tintin which sure i feel was. is the only time we would have invoked sangster him. section we certainly invoked him briefly at least right i love that guy um well we have not yet been welcome to the scorch but no, I don't know. Maybe we do that <laughs> on Patreon. Loves, he brings up the Maze Runner so often. I've only like, seen the third one. Secretly, third one whips. is the worst one. I know you say that every time we talk one, about one, two, this. three. Right, Scorch Trials <laughs> That's is where it. it's at. Yeah. That's how I should rank more. It's not that you rank them in order. You just do a noise pyramid. Yeah, really. Like, my Jackass ratings are like one, two, three, four. You know, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know, but you know. four is still great. Oh, anyway. No, I think it's, I'm actually two, three, two, four, three, one. I think oh, I might jackass. give three the slight edge, but I do think one's the worst now. But I don't know. In whatever. retrospect, did you watch three in 3D? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's uh, it, yeah, it was great to see it in 3D. It is still, for my money, maybe the best top, use of 3D. Top use period. of 3D yeah. post Avatar. It's that basically. and Coraline. Anyway, the other thing this movie is fundamentally about for me, right? There's the sort of like unfulfilled promise, the tragic doomed romance, all these things that are like cornerstones of you know, period romance and these kinds of like, uh, you know, 
un, unrecognized in their time artist biopics and whatever. But the other thing I think this movie is very, very keenly tied into and it's much more like textually grounded in than than most other films of this kind. And I say this as someone who has benefited from countless forms of privilege of various oh, ilks sure, sure. Uh, and has been given so many career advantages because of that. This is a movie about how fucking difficult, if not impossible, it is to be an artist if you're born poor and without social status, which is a thing that still is fucking discussed today in our culture, where it's just like, how do you have the room to struggle and find your own voice if you do not have the means to survive, you know? Mm. And it's like there are exceptions and then they become like sort of like heroic stories of like, look, you can do it. You can come from dirt and build yourself and become a canonical artist. But those people always do just have good luck on their side. Like they get the fucking lottery ticket at some point. Mm. And here's a guy who had like a roommate who's essentially like a trust fund kid who's like, I'm executive producer. I'm like making shit happen. I'm like working stuff. And then his like heartbreaking scene at the end of the movie is like, say it. I failed Keats. Well, that's I didn't fucking figure out how to make him into a thing. He wound himself around. I'm sorry. I'm fucking sorry. I failed him. Even his romance is fucking ruined by the fact that everyone's like, there's no money here between the two of you. You can't fucking do this. Yeah. You can't fucking do this. He can't waste his time in a romance that he can't support. It takes away from his writing and he can't support you. So it's a waste of your time to be with him. And it's just like the whole movie is so wrapped up in the class struggle of just like everyone just being like, look, this is like nice. It's a nice idea you have, but like you're not going to be able to hold this off. It's such an anvil drop once they're like, you can marry our fanny because yeah. it's like they all know where this is going. Right. It, it, you might as well let him have this sort of they're like, I don't belief. know. I guess just fucking go with it together. Like you can yeah. struggle together. Um. Yeah, and, but, and then even more so at a time where a guy like this just like genuinely just cannot survive against the elements. Yeah. Against nature. You know, you're just like, this guy's going to fucking catch something at some point. He's going to go out for milk and like <laughs> fucking get gangrene, you know, whatever. Uh, poor guy. Um, he yeah, this movie is, I would say, fairly plot light. Yes, uh, sure. It's kind of a hangout movie. Mostly like, what if you lived in the same house as John Keats, kind of, and wouldn't you fall in love with him or live near him at least? Yeah, mm-hmm. their their romance doesn't have like rom com structure, no, to it. It's really just a series no. of conversations where they seem genuinely curious and interested in each right. other. Right. There's the one moment early on where Charles Brown, who's Scottish, by the way, I had to triple check. Oh, it's okay. A Scottish sorry, accent, sorry, not an Irish sorry. But Brown is always Scottish. Sure. Um, but he d- he does he does a a, a feather light brogue. Yeah, no, for sure. You but where, Bra- where Brown gives her the the fake love letter, yes, and, she, and he's like, "Well, do you love him?" Like, you know, like you know that that's the only rom com moment, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, right? is the sort of where Brown's like, "It was in jest," you know. Like, do you I was think just it, fucking with you? Do you read that as a joke in the movie? I think that he is being who he is, which is sort of a sort of like, "I'll just start some shit." Maybe she has See, a crush I, on me, or maybe I, I always read that as earnest of him. If he's like, mm-hmm. maybe I'll like, shoot my shot. Yeah, but it's like earnest with the the caveat of like I can just say I was joking. Yeah, that's right, my right. vibe. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like, you know, I can just be myself. Like, can be the excuse sure. if, if it doesn't yeah. go over. I don't know. I mean, it's also like they have their like 
awkward meet cute, right? She's like fucking spilling tea in there. He like, opens the door too fast. You wear prank. that, you know, like all this sort of like. But then the scene where he finally sort of takes a liking to her is when he notices the depth of her empathy in the grieving of his brother. Like the the actual sort of romantic connection moment is like, oh, you feel as much as I do to a degree that is almost a hindrance. That's, I mean, the John Keats story. Yeah. Man would see a fucking flower and lose it. John Keats is the best. Fran, what do you think of Johnny Keats? He's great. He's, he's so amazing. Um, he is the poet I responded to the most of the romantics when I was. I love that, and I love his sonnets, which I think are yeah. incredible. And I think sonnets are the coolest form of poetry. They are pretty good. I love. I was reading. They got that little rhyme at the end. You never see it coming. Oh, and they got it throughout. But, but you know, it's the, the couplet. Little, the little couplet. The couplet. What's better? I mean, I like when poetry. I had to read a lot of poetry in school, and I try to keep up with poetry. But I love when poetry has rules. Because I love rules. You prefer mm. that than just like, all right, baby, it's gonna be all over the place. I mean, that's me, baby. <laughs> that's me, baby. I that's like what a I ton like. of stuff that's all over the place. Sure. But no, you even, like I even rules. love like an invented form of mm-hmm. just like, here's my own thing. But I, I think I always work best with some kind of constraint. I mean, you're David baiting right now. Yeah, no, you I can't totally... say I love rules on this podcast love, without knowing I, what you're getting. This is probably why we're friends. Yeah, probably. Mm. The and rules. Ben and I are loosey goosey, boy. We like fucking He's kicking down. We love chaos. You know, I'm married chaos. to a poet, tree major, but she's my my wife is a poet. Married <laughs> <laughs> to a poet, beat beat. beat. I mean, my my tree wife is, major. My wife is a high school English yes, teacher, yes. but she was a poetry major, and she writes poetry to this day, and she loves. Poetry. Is that is that her favorite form to write now? Absolutely. It's the only form she Because we, of course, know that uh, your wife and I went to high school together. I know mm-hmm. her better than you, you do. do. I've known her for longer. Together, We're much right. closer than you and her are. Right. But in terms that's of That's cool. Right? Is sort that cool? Sort of modern, yeah. Yeah, it's very modern that I sort of said, like, you know what? I think you two would be cute together. Oh. I didn't introduce them. They met organically, but I was like, no, I approve of this. Um, <laughs> but yes, we were in player and uh, class together. Your, uh, wife, your, enough, wife, your wife is a, an excellent writer, but I didn't know poetry was sort of her. That's favorite. her thing. Okay. Um. So anyway. Uh. But yeah, Keats. But Keats. But Keats. She's pro Keats. She's pro this movie. But mm. I'm. I'm a real Keats hoe. I love Keats. <laughs> I fucking love. I'm a slut for Keats. I am. I haven't read that much. Mm. But what I've read, I like the one I. Re- oh, I feel like I read a lot of in college was Byron. Yeah, you see him. I I'm not well versed. He's kind of a dang ass freak, but not he's in a, a good freak, way. But he's like a downer freak. Yeah, and I don't I'm know. Like, There's stuff that's been more recently exposed, like about him being kind of a creeper. Oh, he have can't he's canceled. Yes, he is. Byron. Did, okay. Yeah, he got up. Was he shit. a member of that Thomas Middleditch club? <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? The Thomas. It's the dumbest name. What is it? It's not like the Skull and Bones. It's but it's got like a name that's like performatively kind of like dark. Cloak and dagger. Oh, no. Ugh. Um. Obviously, some of Keats's poetry is about Fanny Braun, such mm-hmm. as Bright Star. Um. And, you know, several others. Uh, he also wrote many hundreds of notes and letters to her that you can read that are super romantic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of like, I cannot exist without you. You know, my love is making me selfish. You know, like yeah. all this kind of like very beautiful overflowing uh, you stuff. You know, it's a, a thing I really like about this film. Uh, the, the Muse narrative is, you know, overdone. And often, oh sure, re- reductive, yeah, uh, to to the women who are then pegged as the muse, right? Where it's like your existence was solely to inspire, inspire great art, great art. from a, a boy, right? Sure, 
I feel like this movie gets across a clear distinction that it's like the muse was their relationship. Yeah, I you know wrote this saying? note down. Right, it's like, like the verb of their relationship right. versus her as just an object. Right. It was the love between the two of them, which was a two way thing rather than exactly her as an object, which I yes. think so often these narratives. And it was like things. the process and the craft of their relationship informed the process and Correct. craft of his work. Right. It 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 unlocked different areas of his understanding to be able to love someone that fully for a man who clearly had that depth and sensitivity of feeling but had largely been told or told himself I, I can't have a relationship because I got to fucking hustle 24-7 to make these palms work because I don't have a safety net to fall back on. Yeah, Sonic you know? Grindset, yeah. Right, <laughs> it's it's like, it's fucking hustle grind culture because yeah. you're just like, look, I didn't come for money. I don't have any connections. I got to fucking figure out my way in here. I don't have time for a relationship. I'll do that when I'm successful. Yes. That's the tragedy of this movie. The guy died barely getting to enjoy himself or, because he, right or even or, have or any do affirmation as much work as he should have or get affirmation or any yeah. of these things because it, it it was a time that was even more um defined by class. I also love it would be easy to make a movie about a romantic poet and have it just be them I don't know running in fields and you know communing with nature this in movie ways could have gone like, full Malick. Exactly. Yeah. It might feel a little uh, overwrought mm-hmm. because people think of romantic poets as overwrought, I think, right? Where mm-hmm. they're just like, ah, God's beauty surrounds me or whatever, right? And I think this movie shoots nature so beautifully, but like mundanely and like... It's not indulgent. Yeah, it makes those environments feel regular, but also obviously inspiring. And It also weirdly makes its like poeticism uh, conversational. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Guy's mostly just hanging out. A lot of writing is hanging out. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. not, in a room. He's not like, you know, which I mean, another one of my Spitting favorite sonnets. movies, Patterson, yeah. is also oh. very good about. God, you the love most, your fucking poet Incredible movies. movie. Uh, it's also about I the mundanity of life movies, and but I how never he's translating it. You're making a little together. face. I'm not crazy about that movie. I, I'm similar. I don't, I, there's nothing I dislike about it, but I went into it wanting to have the fucking transcendent experience that Ben and David did. And I, was yeah. just like, yeah, it's good. I don't know if we're you how don't we're like supposed. I I like the wife. Okay. I don't know if the movie wants us to be laughing at his wife or with his wife and her quirky little thing. I think that's like a I don't know if she's question. a punchline or not. Yeah, I don't. But think I love. She's, she's I not love a punchline her. at all. I think that movie is very tender about her, their relationship. Okay, and um, I remember she's cute and their dog is cute too. Hell, great dog, and he knocks over the mailbox. Great moment. Yeah, mm. uh, but I remember seeing that movie with Jordan Hoffman, friend of the show, who has a sort of similar relationship with his wife that those two have except that Hoffman's oh, a little more a uh, little more avuncular than, Patter, than uh, <laughs> Adam Driver's character yeah and no, I dig this but he was like you know he was saying like hey she's like you know and I was like yeah you know I get it yeah anyway hey uh fun fact uh my uncle Ken drove the Your famed uncle from Midnight Cowboy DVD fame correct correct right. correct he drove that bus route that same bus wow. route shit. oh movie. shit mm-hmm. Wow, because yeah. he's a bus driver in Patterson. If no one's he, seen Patterson, Patterson been, spoilers. Yeah, he had been a bus driver in Patterson. <laughs> did wow. he like the movie Patterson? He did. Yeah, I was going to say. He likes this show, by the way. Shout out Ben. He Bunkley. started listening recently because I told him how to download podcasts. Yeah, and that's a, so nice. We made his fucking DVD collection famous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ben, my, my, Griffin threw um, Midnight Cowboy at me when I invoked it on the Walks episode. <laughs> I literally like, chucked tossed, a Midnight Cowboy, a one-disker at your head. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Oh, wait. So you're talking about nature. Can we talk oh, sure. about the exterior, or the interior design? Mm. Did you guys not? Ben I was like, like looking at us oh, right now like he's about to tell us Because I've been okay. watching a lot of HGTV. <laughs> Okay. okay. Really I expected you to yeah, say. deep into just interior design culture. Yeah. This movie is so beautifully shot, but the rooms, man, because the romantic time in my mind, you can make it all like gaudy and candelabras, but you can kind of tell they like have money, but they're not, it's not like extravagant. Mm-hmm. They don't have servants. Sure. So it's just like you get this kind of mundane kind of like portrayal of that time oh i get what you're saying that like most period films like this there's like such a kinetic energy to the home because there's a staff and there's yeah. the structure of the functions and yeah. right the routines and all that and this is right it's got more of a casual vibe but like her bedroom like to me i'm like that is like be- that's a beautiful design i like want that for my own home like mm. my girlfriend and i the whole time watching we're just like this is like this is so gorgeous. Like this is like like shit you would like see like as far as like interior design porn on Instagram now. But they're supposed yeah. to the bronze are what middle class? They're not upper class, are they? No. So this is like that sort of pastoral middle class where I think even like mm-hmm. you know Pride and Prejudice, the Bennets are sort of like yeah. they're middle class. They where like that looks amazing, but it's like they're not the wealthiest. No, this right. is sort of. No. Simple, but it's like it was, well, look, it's like you watch The Simpsons and you go, so you're telling me this guy's 34, he has a three bedroom <laughs> home, and we're te- we're saying he's middle class. I mean, it's but, exactly like that. I'm not even joking. Actually, I feel like it we, is one of those things. I feel where like Homer like, being 34 is like been talked about the whole I, last year. I think he's 36. I always or one, one I think of those he's 37. Two. I can't he's, he's but it's 30, one of those things. Where like, That's fine. I'm still younger than right. him. I feel right. like, and you're like they're I supposed feel to be, like Homer's age. They're supposed to be sure. lower middle class and he like owns the house outright. They have two cars. All sure. that shit that just now is no longer like you're like I see, that's impossible. I see. Yeah. He was 34 yeah. in early seasons, 36 in season 4, 39 in season 8 and 40 in the 18th season. He has okay. sort of a comic book floating timeline. Yeah. Anyway, uh yes Exactly. They, you know, it was obviously you could, you know, get yourself a little pile of bricks when you were, you know, just sort of middle class back then. There's a lot yeah. less people. So they're not, they're on... not gaudy. I no. think is no. what no, no, Ben no, is no. saying. Like even that simplicity, sort of simple, like country life, is really enviable but at like, this point. But still, nonetheless, like Fanny is too fancy for John because he makes no money. Obviously, yeah. like yeah. even though Fanny is also. You know, uh, Brown is like mean about her because she's kind of like déclassé to him, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, you don't need to be. She she just likes ribbons. Like you know, you don't need to be hanging out with her, right? Um, but like that's one reason their romance is so genuine. I think is that like yeah. you know they 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 really loved each other. It's not you know this was not some she was not angling for this guy's fame or money. Yeah. He was not angling for her, like the security she could give him. Like there, there was nothing in their union that would have produced stability for them. money. Yeah. Money means nothing to them right. in this relationship. And yeah. it's like, you know, a pastoral is like a type of poem. And I think this movie functions in that way also, where it just makes their country life look like the most enviable, right. perfect, natural place to ever be. Fairly fringy. The life he was living. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and but also, like, I, no, sorry. Go well, on. The, the thing that he's fucking up, by being in love with her mm-hmm. is that she could be getting married to someone who could give her a nice future. Yeah. 
And that's what he keeps saying. He's like, someone should fall in love with you who can like fucking set you up because I can't. Yeah. You know, and I feel bad being in love with you for this reason. <laughs> like, it's a bummer. Like Those, right. Those that, dances, though, man. That shit is like corny. Oh, you think I'm sorry. Oh, I, love, I gotta I love say, that. oh, I like it. I like it. And plus, what? rules too. You learn the steps. You rules. learn the rules. Rules. Get out of here. At those dances, anyone can dance. When someone touches your waist, that's like the most intimacy you've right. ever had in your life. At you, that point, and, and I'm like, that's go, cool. You have to. I love those movies of... when they have the big dance. Dances oh, and the dance like card. Oh, mm. when the dance card is full. Oh, oh, no. Gotta fill up your card. I wanted I to dance with Ba. Yeah. And then some like like Danny DeVito guy comes over and is like, oh, my turn. And you're like, ah, shit, he's on my card. What do I, I do? I do wish like like my middle school dances had operated had with system. those. Like I, I would have had a lot less anxiety if there was a clear structure. Oh, I think parties now, you just fill up your card and then you don't have to talk to the people you don't yeah, want to talk to. You're like, nah, my card's full. I gotta go. to party. Right. Um, the thing I was going to say yeah. is that unlike, you know, watching all these camping movies, it is such a through line, this sort of constant battle in all of her characters, or at least often her primary characters between their sexual impulses and their intellect. Right. right. And how often those two things are at odds with each other. Uh, and when that drive overrides it and works against their better judgment for, for better or worse. And this is a movie where like their attraction to each other is not really given that sort of force of animal sexuality to it. Like there isn't that sort of like primal impulse. Right. It is just this emotional connection that is so pure and outside of all of these structures. And it's not them fucking wanting to like rip bodices or whatever. They just you want know? to be close to each they other. They just want to be close. Yeah. To each other. They want Which I think hands. is sexy in its own way. It's, it's just super not sexy. Erotic. Absolutely. There's yeah. just not a lot of movies like this. Yes. Yeah. And usually if I'm coming to some fucking Euro financer with a hoop skirt drama, yeah. I might be promising like some bodice, rip bodice. ripping. Yeah. yeah. And you know, instead she's like, no, man, this movie's gonna be gentle AF. Touch hands. Like, the he's like right, there's gonna be like very effective kissing. And that's the, the extreme, the most extreme end of it. Yeah. Um, yes. But, you know, uh, apparently one shot, Greg Frazier set up what Campion described as a sea of daffodils. And Campion was like, too corny, too Disney, mm. she said. Mm. And so she was like, get these fucking daffodils out. And they had to like stop filming and get all the daffodils, pull wow. them all up. That's funny because there's the scene with either, you know, the lilacs or the violets where it's Fanny and the two siblings just yeah. sort of laying in those. I like that that's not too corny a flower. Yeah. Daffodils, I agree, are corny. Um, I mean, speaking about the class and their relationship just for two more seconds, mm -hmm. I think the Keats estate sort of grew to kind of resent her and like the position that she had in his life and yes. did a lot to try to discredit her and one of those things that i think was referring to her as immature all the time because right. they had a sort of like mm -hmm. little age gap with them and i think one of the things bright star does effectively is like her immaturity is reflected in her optimism that they can pull this off sure. it's not that she's like not worthy of him it's that she sort of believes up until basically the end that like we're going to be fine. But that's don't you think that's also a reflection of the obsessive the obsession, the cultural obsession with like great artists just being like pure geniuses who spit gold like they were just perfect and everything they did was excellent. Like not to fucking wade into this thing. I swear to God, I'm not going to fucking go down this rabbit hole. Oh, Jesus. But there was the recent fucking wave of Star Wars discourse where people were arguing uh, over whether shit cares? and Boba Fett resembled George Lucas's vision or not. Who right? Cares? This is all I want to say. This is all I want to say about uh -huh. it. Right. And there was this argument now where it's like this constant fucking back and forth of like, was George Lucas 
your messiah or was he an idiot savant who fell into Star Wars backwards, right? Yeah. And this idea of like, well, but George Lucas fucked things up. Like he had all these weaknesses and these other people saved Star Wars and all this shit. And it's like the thing that weirdly feels removed from the conversation of how we understand artists at a time where I think more people want to talk about the process of how things are made and who the people are behind them and all that sort of shit is like good collaboration is a sign of a great artist. It's not like you're a better artist if you know how to do everything perfectly and no one mm. ever gives you any notes. Knowing the people surround yourself with, knowing when to take their advice and when not to, which influences to take, which happy accidents to observe, like which things you pull from in your life or influences another art, like that's part of the soup. And I think people are obsessed with this idea of just like they're touched with brilliance and they sit down and they're fucking, they do a perfect work. And look at them. It all came out of their head perfectly realized. And it's like, no, like part of being an artist is being a fucking person in the world and meeting other people and pulling from them and experiences and all this sort of shit. So it's like this weird contradictory thing of like the obsession with telling stories about muses that romanticize that but turn them into objects. And then also like the scholars who uphold these artists being like, but like, let's not give too much credit to this fucking person. He was just the best. He just was a fucking great poet. What he just sat down, he wrote great poems, and he died. Uh, you know what a great movie about this is? What? The Wife. Mm. <laughs> what? David if. just made such a face. <laughs> um, there was a two mess. The Wife, talk. the book, is actually very much about this and unpacks sure. it a little bit more. Because that's what the if, whole idea. Is, what if there was right. a wife? He did have a wife, and she actually wrote the books, right? Like, like in the movie, she's he's just copying. She types a document, and then he puts his name on it. Right. Whereas The yeah. Wife, the book, is sort of about you know, a writer who goes home every night and has a conversation with they his wife. They have a about, shared process. Sure. Yeah. Right. And she's sure. like, why don't I have a stake in this? Yeah, Which is right. a valid question. I drive feel my like car? The, the, sure, drive my that. car. Yeah. Kind of the movie kind of turns him into Millie Vanilli. The movie turns Jonathan Price into Millie Vanilli. Oh, right. I yes, was like, yeah. Bright Star. Um, yeah, drive no, my car. Not, not, turns, not Bright Star turns Ben Wishaw into Millie Vanilli. Into Millie Vanilli. I want to tell you some more trivia facts that J.J. dug up. Please. As part of the casting process, Campion required every actor, every actor, mm. to recite a Keats poem from memory. And she was worried it would be repetitive and was like, it was so cool. Everyone did things differently. differently. Their personalities completely disappeared. Mm. The poem, like, you know, so that's one thing. Once she cast Wish on at Cornish, she would every day require them to perform small, unfilmed tasks together, like exchanging gifts, mm. flowers, anything like that. She wanted them to just have like, a little unspoken bond on set. Sure. Um, Sense memory too. Yeah. Sure. Um, and uh, she, about her great quote about Wishaw, I don't know why, but I love cats. And when I first saw Ben Wishaw, I thought, oh my God, he's a cat. He's yeah. like the most yeah. beautiful back black cat you've ever seen. He's got this mysterious quality. He's, yeah. a, he's, he's a bit of a cat, isn't he? Yeah. He's a great is. cat in this movie too. Yeah. Topper. Oh yeah. Love um, the cat. And obviously, uh, the first kiss, Wishaw talking about it, we t thought a lot about how that should happen, how they touch each other, how they're very sensitive to every physical interaction. They don't jump all each other all, all over each other. Small gestures speak volumes, mm -hmm. mm. which is very much the vibe of the romance in this movie, right? You know, yeah, I mean, little look, little moments. Celine Siama has talked extensively about what an influence Campion was for her. Hell yeah, Queen. but especially like obviously. Portrait of a Lady on Fire escalates to being more overtly sexual, but yeah. the same sort of studied of the micro gestures and movements and the sort of space between them or lack thereof and all that sort of stuff. This movie feels like so 
uh, attuned to. Campion's yeah. take on Schneider, he's like Jack Nicholson. So original as instincts. What comes to him comes from outer space. Like that, so like, cle- so like nice. he's yes. like completely different energy on this uh, this set of like cool. fucking yeah. Ben Wishaw giving you know Abby Cornish some flowers. You know what? I think that's why I'm so surprised he nails the accent so much because he is much like Nicholson, one of those guys who I just think is like so behaviorally fascinating, and having not come from like an acting background. It, talks about being pretty instinctual where something like getting a fucking lilting Scottish brogue down feels like the kind of thing that like a drama school person knows how to like study and break down. And he just feels like a guy who just has like a good psychology for being in a scene and behaving and reacting and all that sort of shit. Uh, Yeah. He's fascinating. And I fucking miss him being in a movie. This is the, this is the great Schneider quote. What a funny guy this guy clearly is. You should write more. Yeah. For crying out loud. Yeah. You have this beautiful feline guy, Keats, who drags a chair under a flowering tree and farts out the greatest poetry of the 19th century. The process through which Brown eked out any poetry was like passing a kidney stone. So he's saying, like, I'm kind of playing Brown with a tinge of, like, sort of Salieri, too, where it's kind of like, this guy is just, I'll never be like this guy creatively. Like, I sure. cannot believe how naturally it comes to him right. versus me. Like, I... I think that's yeah. why that character is so protective of him too yeah. with this relationship is like, I know I'm living with a brilliant person and he shouldn't be distracted. Right. Right. Cause he thinks it's sort of his responsibility to help this guy become a great artist because what he lacks and sort of the natural instinct he maybe can make up for in like connections and stability and all that sort of stuff. Um, Schneider said this thing to me. I remember when we took this fucking subway ride. What train home. is it? It would have been, uh, it would have been the one. We're gonna go friend. get him. The one train. It would have been the one train. We saw it at Lincoln Center. It would have been the one train downtown. Wow. Good um, ferry. Yep. But uh, I, I was, you know, at, at, at a relative career nadir at that point. But Common had, you know, uh, introduced me as an actor, and he was like talking to me as if I was like the fucking contemporary of like experiences with acting and shit. And because we've just seen Holy Motors, you get like very existential about like, oh, this weird thing we do for a living, pretending to be these people. And I just remember him having this comment where it's like, you know, it's a weird thing I think about all the time that I'm like, not like very famous and I'm not a movie star, but I've like done enough things that at any moment in time, there might be like, two guys sitting on a couch in a foreign country watching me holding a gun on TV. Right. That it's weird that these things I do are just sort of like, that that's an image where it's like, I would never hold a gun in my real life. You know? It's bizarre that I did that for a job. And it's not like I'm fucking Clint Eastwood that has some mythic power, but yet that image sort of still ripples. Like, I think he's a very existential guy in that kind of way. Come on, blank check, Paul. Yeah. I have failed him. That line just murdered me. It's, I remember it's I was amazing. Just sobbing in the theater he's the first so, time I saw it. Remains so I was so fucking gentle by this the first scene. time I saw it. Well, it's very unsettling re- the way he dies off screen, which is yeah, like absolutely think, how, of course, that that would have felt emotionally to her that he just vanished. The last twenty five yeah. minutes of this movie are so brutal. Yeah. When I first saw this, I was like, I'm not rewatching this again. It, I I don't I I yes this movie is emotional in a way for me that I can't like throw it on you know yeah I, remind me can we talk about the scene when he's like saying goodbye to her essentially when yeah and they both are sort of aware of like he's gonna fucking die before this he comes probably, back here mm-hmm. right he says as much he's like right. I don't think we're gonna see it's a statement yeah. it's like yeah. it's it's not even like a probably it's like look come on yeah 
And then they have their like imaginary conversation of like, let's like say what we'll do when I come back. And their way of coping with like this being their goodbye is like play acting the life they're not going to get to live together. It's tough. It's amazing. That's I I rewatched this a couple weeks ago and then I started it again last night just to have it fresh in my head. Yeah. And then I stopped it right after that it's, conversation. It's, I was like, you know what? I got it. Yeah. Oh, and I watched I Have Failed John Keats just because I, mean, I love when he says that. But. Well, the way he says it where he's like at first trying to be like bravado dude. Like, yeah. Right. He's like, you want me to say it? I'll say it. You know, I'm not afraid of saying it. And then once he says it, he can't stop saying it because he knows like how much yeah, it, like, well, how much brave. he failed him. Listen, it's so well, not to besmirch them, but I feel like most actors in this role would have turned that into a spotlight they all knew scene. Oh, of course. Like right, they right. would have totally gone for emotional devastation, total sure, breakdown. It, yeah. Yes. It would make it a little more Oscar clippy in some way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. The right. stomp is so good. Yes. It's so like human and real life tantrumy. Yeah. I guess yeah. what you're talking about, Griffin, is also the Oscar clippiness of like, there's catharsis. He admits yes. it. And instead, it's like, he says this, and you're like, okay, I can tell obviously how uh, how brutal this is for him. But also, it's like, what am I, I supposed to do with this? You know, That's the thing. It's yeah. not the catharsis. He's not playing it as catharsis breakthrough in this moment. I'm self-destructing and admitting the thing that's yeah, been right, eating right, away right. at me. He's playing as like, yeah, I fucking know. You want me to say it. I failed John Keats. I think about this every fucking minute of my life. You fucking failed him. You fucking you blew it, Charles. You blew it. I mean, like, you think of I've abandoned my boy, I guess. That, that, yeah. that, that's a similar thing where it's like he's saying it because he knows he's supposed to say it at first. Right. And then the more he keeps saying it, the more you can tell, right. like, oh, it's break, the dam is breaking inside right. him. Right. And Schneider somehow makes this scene emotionally devastating despite only playing the scene in the key of the first I abandoned my boy. Right. And that character is not, you know, redeemed, which a lesser movie would work to find some right. big understanding. But he's also them. not like he's also some not a villain. But he's not punished. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Right. This film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2009. Mm-hmm. Lost to the White Ribbon, which I think is a good oh, movie. Oh, yeah, I think it's a very good film. But I prefer this film personally. Okay. But obviously, she had won the Palm d'Or before. And then, who won the acting awards that year? That's a good question. Let's find out. Did you like the way I said that? Yeah. Because these are two performances that feel very con. I mean, I totally agree. Let's see. So the, the jury president back uh, that uh, year was Isabelle Huppert, ruling, ruling I'm sure, so with an sad. iron fist and in a velvet glove. <laughs> I can well, only imagine. Was Haynes... Some director had like a falling out with her during a can James jury. Gray. Oh, James but Gray. He, he says that in a way... James Gray is funny... Yeah, uh-huh. in a way that I think sometimes doesn't read in interviews. Yeah, but whenever you see videos with him, you're like, "Oh, this guy's joking." He says that in a way that feels more jokey than right. maybe. Okay, it comes okay. Out. Like, did they disagree about whether or not to put mustard on corned beef? <laughs> right. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Right. I mean, obviously, it's a. It's a. Uh, I'm gonna say this is a wild jury because you got James Gray, you got Lee mm. Chang Dong, uh, you got Robin Wright, you got mm. um, Asia Argento, Asia Argento. I forget how you say yeah. her name. Uh, yeah, a lot of Hanif Qureshi, uh, you know, a lot of sure interesting cats. Um, best, the Palm Door goes to uh, the White Ribbon, which was a mild surprise, I guess, because no, maybe Hanif had hadn't won, won before. before. Yeah. No, he wins again for Amour. I, am now, I wrong in thinking he's won three times? Has he won three times? Win for Piano Teacher? Because I no, f- Piano Teacher won 
um, I guess it actress makes, or something. Okay. It makes sense that she would go for her guy, though, you know? I, Doesn't I, it? I don't well, know. Yes. Yeah, I just yeah. remember when, like, when he no, won he for He won the more. Grand Prix for Piano Teacher. Okay. So, no, he had never won the Prix. Okay. Because Moore is one of those things where it's like, oh, we just gave it to him, but this is kind of undeniable. Like, right. it was that one was of those things where they were like, fuck. Yeah. Uh, the Grand Prix went to a prophet. Okay. Good movie. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, best actress went to Charlotte Gainsbourg for Antichrist. Isabel, <laughs> what are you up to? And best actor went yeah. to Christoph Waltz for Inglorious Bastards, oh, okay. which was the first sign of like, who is this? Fuck, he's right. in the Tarantino movie and he won. Cannes right. cool for her to do. Right, definitely. Well, but right. then also obviously, then he just becomes the story of that right. movie. Right. But good segue into me saying. That Quentin Tarantino, who was in competition uh-huh. against Jane Campion, wrote her a letter saying, Dear Jane, bravo, 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 four exclamation points. Sorry, three exclamation uh-huh. points. I wanted to correct myself. My favorite film of yours. I don't like period pieces like that. I loved this. Never has heartache been so realistically and movingly portrayed. Heart like, feels good in a place like this. Uh, so Heartbreak. T- t- Tarantino adores Bright Star. Yeah. It's the best film I've seen since uh, Three Musketeers 3D. <laughs> um, it's always funny seeing his year-end list where it's just like, oh, it's clear that Tarantino weirdly only sees six new films a year. Right. He sees did like- Did he do you know, a 2021 one? I don't think he did. Come on, Tarantino. I know. Get I with it. I want it. Let's see. I feel like he didn't, though. Well, what's this? Hmm? Uh, this film? No, no, this is someone. Okay. 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 Yeah, no, he should do one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and the movie got good reviews. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes, like, no, it was I, well received. I think it was like a critical darling that was hamstruck with a distributor that did not know how to properly release this <laughs> that thing. Was definitely the, and there was yeah. more vitality to the indie distribution world at this point like this could have become a minor crossover hit and i think it was just felt like apparition doesn't know how to make these things work you know it's that funny oscar year where it becomes avatar versus um hurt locker hurt locker right which are these sort of right both david and goliath x's but like both obviously sure. you know and like yeah. obviously glorious bastards is a big movie that right. year uh, uh an education, education right uh, well, like, precious up uh, District right, 9. Precious is a really big deal. That yeah, year, right. Up in the air is a big deal. Yes, year. you know, it's kind of a year loaded year. Oscar year, but obviously, and I that's was... the first expanded field year. That's the year that's where the they first, make right? it ten. Yes, because the year before had been the Dark Knight. Right, year. right, yeah. Um, but obviously, it's a little sad this movie didn't get, and I guess it's just because it's so quiet and gentle is also yeah. part of it. It's, a, it's I a don't tough... know that this would have broken through. I think. Look, I don't think it could have just because it can't be, and I would have thought. You know, maybe, maybe I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't think it may, could have majorly broken through, but this movie made like less than a million dollars domestically. No, no, no. It made no. more than a million, I think. Let's see. I just feel like a Fox Searchlight or Universal Focus could have gotten this movie it, like two it, or three steps further. It made a healthy four point four million dollars. Okay. You know, what? it made seventeen worldwide. That's so better probably, than I remember. It worldwide, pretty much it doubled its, its budget yeah. worldwide. Like it yeah. didn't hurt anything anyone's feelings but yeah. yeah i agree with you that in the hands of a sony pictures classics or whatever right. it probably would have because i even yeah. i feel like young victoria did better than this and that had the benefit of even though being released by apparition it had like a bigger star and, a, and, and a, it had a more conventional like oh it's one of a, these a it's like but they're big, it, it's yeah. bigger i just worry that this that's is, a bigger movie. and like i feel like the period pieces that were doing well at that time yes 
are well, like that's you know the Joe Wright ones, which are yes. pretty big and yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, Young Victoria. It's just like we all know Victoria, and everyone's like old, <laughs> always old, yeah. old lady, big black dress, and the guy's like. Mm-mm. You know what? Not a lot of people know. Like, I is that, you know that Victoria used to fuck her husband eighteen billion times a day and had like twenty kids. And did you know? No one knows this, but uh, uh, Steve from Blues Clues actually wrote the theme song for Young Victoria. Go right ahead. That's a joke for two people. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't, I, I don't know it. He did the fucking theme song for Young Sheldon, and people love to throw that out. Is it? Did you know? Someone is speculating that Lynch is playing John Ford in this movie. Fuck. I mean, if that's true. Oh fuck! <laughs> I mean, I don't know what this movie is how how deep into Spielberg's like career it's gonna get. Like, but no, but he's but Ford he's is told the guy that he story meets, a lot. Right? Ford's yeah. one of the first people he meets. God, can, oh fuck! Can you imagine David Lynch wearing an eye patch on screen? You know what? I can. <laughs> can you imagine how much that's gonna fucking rock? Uh, shall we play the box office game? Is there any more bright star we want to get to? Fran. I love Toots. Just want to say it. I love mm. this child. Yep. I think she's so sweet. She's so cute. I Let think... me give you a quote about her, actually. But no, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just think Campion's so great with kids. She and the kids is. feel so perfectly kid-like. And hasn't done that many movies with kids, but always gets incredible naturalistic performances from them. Like, me... my favorite sequence in this movie is when Toots is sort of escorting them back from when... Fanny and Keats have gone to make out mm-hmm. and that every time she turns around they sort of freeze to kind of fuck with her a little bit and I think it's such a gentle jokey thing to do with a child and I love when Toots tells John that she loves him we've also talked about this a lot David but that like that's one of those movie star tests where you're like are you good with kids mm-hmm. it's one of those things you kind of can't fake where it's like oh you have good chemistry with kids you're either and gonna also, be good at this or bad right your craft yeah. is adaptable enough that like kids act in totally different ways like mm-hmm. any director who's good with kids talks about like you got to meet them where they are you know let and me both of them are so fucking good with the kids I let me read it. this quote as a perfect underline of that she was camping on Edie martin the actress playing yeah. toots she was wonderful but because she was such a baby she got frightened she'd say she had tummy aches mm-hmm. i calmed her down by showing her how to create a bubble for herself it's easy you stretch out your arms and that excludes all the people who are making you nervous my job was just to help her relax and be herself i told her to forget about the camera and then i left her alone but i just love this image of campion being like make a bubble that is so fucking mm. sweet isn't it i i'm like really touched Griffin's by, moved that. by that i can really move by that there's that great tom hardy profile and maybe esquire where like they run into like a father and toddler and tom hardy tries to speak to the toddler cuz mm. i guess he like loves kids and the kid is immediately afraid and hardy has this great quote of like I can see I've frightened you and I'm walking away. <laughs> it just immediately excuses himself. It was like, I see what I've done here. I'm removing myself but from the situation. But that weirdly shows you that he's good with kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you like, know I'm not exact... salvaging this. I, yeah. look, I came on right. too strong. Right. Yeah. I came on with that. And I'm yeah. sensitive enough <laughs> that so I want to defer to you. You, you get... He's like, I can see I've upset you. I give you I... the high ground. Maybe it's like, I will disappear or something. It's so good. God, that's so good. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, Anyway, let's play the box office game. Sure. This movie came out September 18th, 2009. Not a good release date, in my opinion. No, that's Don't dump that, this movie there. That's that kind of zone where it's like... Right after TIFF. Right. Early Oscar. And like, you're like, mm. is this going to be a slow burn? Do we need to long play it because it's not going to pop until November, December? We got to just keep it burning until then. And uh, Apparition didn't have the strength like, to keep it going that long. It looks like they did this all wrong. Yeah. They opened it it's on, unbelievable they were actually called Apparition, Apparition and that they were just like... Poof. 
they put it on 19 screens. That feels wrong. Put it on either like two or 200. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, anyway, it opens number 33. Okay. I mean, it's a small release, obviously. But this is a four out of five new movies week. Wow. Uh, okay. In the top five. So it's a September 2009. Correct. And the first, the number one film of the week is an animated film that you're very fond of. Uh, I, it's not Hotel Transylvania. No. 2009. It's not Coraline. No. 2009. Do you like you keep saying 2009? Yeah. No, no, no. Because I'm trying to think. The best animated, animated film. The best animated film nominees in 2009 are Up. Coraline. Sure. Fantastic Mr. Fox. I believe it. Secret of Kells. Ah, good movie. And was this movie nominated or was it snubbed? Well, let's find out. Animated feature film of the year. I'm like, is this the fifth that I'm forgetting or it was, was it really not snubbed? nominated? The fifth nominee was The Princess and the Frog, but this movie probably oh, yeah. could have deserved a nom, but that's hmm. five good nominees, so maybe not. Yeah. It's a comedy. It's based on a children's book. It's a comedy that's based on uh, what form of animation? Is it oh, CGI? 3D, CG. I might know. Go on. Is it Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Sure oh, is. Of course. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. But do you put it in those five? I would. I mean, you know I'm not very fond of Princess and the Frog, which you think is rude. I don't like Up. I also, Up is I, near I, the I bottom of my pretty fraud, but I, no, look, there's I, things about Up that I are like impressive. Up. Right. I just think it is very flawed, almost in, intrinsically flawed in a canon that I think includes like double-digit perfect movies. Sure. Um, yeah. But I, I guess I keep up and I put Cloudy over Princess and David would say rude. Rude. Uh, number two at the box office is a based on a true story film from one of our great directors. Okay. Other three movies in that five are obviously undeniable bangers. Oh, Kel's in, Coraline animated and film. Sure, yeah, Fox. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go on. Um. Hmm. Kind of like a satire comedy, black comedy, physical the transformation. Informant? It's The Informant. Yeah. yeah. Matt Damon is The Informant. Yeah. Uh, a movie we'll get, I'd like to rewatch. I've only seen the one time. Never yeah. seen it. Matt Damon. He's the informant. Yeah. There's that great Paul F. Tompkins bit about yes. Matt Damon eating the cube. Yeah. One of my favorite Paul F. Tompkins stand up bits of all time where he talks about like having, like being at a dinner with Matt Damon and Matt Damon eats like a blue cube. And Paul Tompkins is like, why is no one talking about this? Right. Why is he eating a cube? He shot and it. It's like, like some weight loss thing that like uh, only rich actors know. He shot it like sandwiched in between two Damon action movies. I yeah, think. or like an oceans and a board. Right. Like he right. had to look like Matt Damon right before and right after mm. with no time. And there was but this cube I, that somehow stabilized it's like his weight. A blue until, cube. Yeah. You just have yeah. to listen to it because there's this okay. moment where Paul Tompkins is like, what about the cube? Anyway, it's really good. It's that's the movie, and I feel like this is a trick he has used a number of times since then. He certainly does it in um, Magic Mike and Behind the Candelabra and fucking uh, uh, the the Laundromat and all all these movies. But that's a movie where like everyone in the supporting cast, outside of Damon Bakula and Melanie Linsky, is primarily a comedian. Right. Yes, absolutely. Like it's like Joel McHale, Joel McHale and the Smothers yeah, yeah, yeah. Brothers and Tom Papa yeah, and Paul yeah. F. Tompkins and all these fucking people. 
And I was just like, why is he only pulling from comedians? And he's like, in movies like this where you have a lot of like bureaucrats and government agents and these characters who are like functionaries and have a lot of exposition, it can get so dry that I find if you hire comedians, people who are innately funny and tell them to play it entirely straight, it still gives it a little more energy than dramatic actors who try to turn it into something. And I just think it's always interesting now where I look for that in those sorts of roles where it's like, oh, Cristela Alonso is like the cop in this. Because she'll just give it a little something. Uh, smart director. That's a smart way to use that. Love actors. him. I'm excited for Kimmy. Kimmy. Out next week. Kimmy. Kimmy. Number three is a Tyler Perry film. Okay, 2009. Would it I love be... how it's a Tyler Perry film. There's just such a vast amount of No, guesses. but I think I might be able to get this. Go is on. it? Is it Medea Goes to Jail? Nope. Fuck. I think that's 2010. He's doing two a year. He's mostly doing about two a year. This, this would is, be a non-Medea, right? This is a... This is a Medea movie. Fuck. Okay, but that makes me think she's not in the title. She sure isn't. Hmm. Okay. It's not... Is it Meet the Browns? No. Uh, it's not Family of Praise? No. I don't think Medea's in that one. No, I don't either. That's why I said it's not. Uh, stupid. Stupid to even verbalize. Stupid. stupid. Dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb fucking idiot. Um, okay. Stop, stop. <laughs> don't okay, fight. Okay, on the title. Stars an Oscar nominee. Oh, it's I Can Do Bad All By Myself. I Can Do Bad All By Myself. Good title. I should have known title. that. Because the apartment I lived in in 2009, we got that poster when they threw it outside a movie theater and we put it on the wall. The thing with, I love came the Tyler Perry movie posters the poster. that yeah. are like that, that are like a flower with a face in it that are impressionistic versus the ones that are just like, Medea, and she's like kind of just whatever, doing guy something. Who was like, Some of those posters are so fucking good. The guy who was like the graphic marketing guy for Lionsgate was like a genius yeah. and released like a coffee table book of all of his work, which is like really underrated in terms of how much he got Lionsgate, like stole like 10% of the market share of the US box office for those years just through posters and like billboards and shit. And this is the poster I'm referring to. Every Tyler Perry movie Love it. pretty much had two posters, yeah. one of which was like sort of abstract poetic kind of a teaser, and usually. one of which was the comedy poster. But it wasn't even necessarily that they'd be teasers. They'd have both of them up simultaneously and just hit different markets. This is the sort of main poster, which is also still fairly dreamy and impressionistic. It's, it's the least. But then right. you're forgetting with this that there was also a third poster that is a parody of the Straw Dogs exactly. poster. Thank you. <laughs> Right. Uh, Medea's they'd glasses always, breaking. Like, right, they'd always do that. Like, even going back to Diary of a Mad Black Woman, Another like, ring. the main poster is a flower, and then the second poster is, like, Medea holding a gun, a gun to camera. That's right. Um, all right. Number four at the box office okay. is one of those movies where I'm like, I guess I remember what this is. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. It's a romantic... Hmm. drama hmm. with two actors who I feel like at this point should be riding high. Yeah. And it's kind of a star of how these actors really needed to be with other stars to huh. be stars. This is a movie that like seems it has the title and tagline of a fake movie in another movie. It's not Time Traveler's Wife. No, no, no. That's way too right. good. <laughs> right. What this is. This is a movie no one remembers. Uh-huh. This is a movie like in a movie, right. like a uh, fucking Don John gets dragged to see this movie right. by Scarlett Johansson. It's like, I hate chick flicks. Right. It's I not, like porn flicks. It's not definitely maybe. That's what he would do. No. But it's like, is it, it's like a, a definitely maybe adjacent film. Is it like it? a Sparks thing? No. Okay. Hmm. Is no. it based on anything? No. Huh. I believe the uh, the man is playing a widow. It's not Knights in Redanthe, is no. it? No. Okay. Good movie that Fran watched recently, right? I watched yeah. on a plane. 
Yeah, well, my thing I want to say about it is a spoiler. Just... Yeah, well, don't spoil it. Okay. I fell asleep and I woke up 10 minutes later and the stakes had drastically changed. Wow. And yes, I was like, what the hell? Um, uh... But I love Richard it's about a widower. It's about a widower who's, a who dates a florist. Song. It's about a widower who dates... Okay. I'm going to have to give you more clues. Um, the star, the male lead, had just been in a huge superhero film the, the previous year. Okay, 2000... Is it Robert Downey Jr.? No. 2008, there was a huge superhero film. Yes, and what's it called? Right, so there's a Dark Knight. It was a big deal, The Dark Knight, yes. He's in The Dark Knight? He sure is. Who's in The Dark Knight? Oh, 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 Is this the fucking Aaron Eckert, Jennifer Aniston movie? It sure is, and what's it called? called Love Happens. And what's the tagline? Sometimes, when you least expect it, dot, 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 love love happens. happens. He plays like a motivational speaker. Correct. He's a self-help author who is a widow. Yeah. Widower. Sorry. And uh, Jennifer Aniston is a florist. And guess what they date? I've seen this. I was going to say, I've definitely never seen this. Martin Sheen, Judy Greer. I think I've maybe seen this. Mm. Well, love happens. It's opening number four, but holy shit, it's still beating number five, a beloved cult classic that put its filmmaker in director jail. We'll probably do her one day. It would have to be. It could be nothing but Jennifer's body. It's Jennifer's body, which could not even topple love happens in its Mm. opening weekend. This was its opening weekend? Number five, opening it to $6 million. Wow. Uh, You've also got nine... Remember nine? The Italian. No, the other one. The 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 animated no. film. There were two nines in two thousand nine. That was sure. like this is not the Italian. This was numeral nine. This is the animated one. Yeah. Correct. It was like a student film that fucking Tim Burton and Timor yeah. whatever his name is who did. I do remember the this. fucking what's what are those movies called? The Vampire Night Day. Yeah, uh, Day Watch Night Watch. Right. Yeah. Uh, they were like Tim this Burton is the new guy. Yeah. And he's got a whole fucking world where we're going to make sequels. And that movie came out. And when Focus was like releasing Leica movies and like maybe we can release mid-budget animated films. Yeah. And it made very little impact. And that guy has like never done anything ever again. Shane Acker? I believe you. Yeah. Um, Nine. Okay. Nine. I just yeah. remember seeing that trailer like way too many times. Shane Acker. You're yes. correct. And it's got like Elijah, Elijah Wood, Wood. Elijah Jennifer Wood, yeah. Christopher Plummer. It's like all high No Fergie, right? No, for be cool. You've also got Inglorious Bastards. I was gonna ask. Still in there. Still in there. Uh, You got all about Steve's because this is the Sandra Bullock flop hype year. You know where? Yeah. Uh, You've got Sorority Row. Uh, Don't remember that. No, that's a that's like a seventies horror remake with. I want to say Rumor Willis. Correct. I believe uh, Carrie Fisher plays the head headmistress or something. You're right. Yeah. Uh, And the final destination is that the fourth. Fifth. Yes, right. Because then they make Final Destination Five after that. It it is such a box but office. V bump. was yeah, it was like a slight reboot, right? It was kind of been a few no, years. No, it was supposed to be the last. The, the... They call it V because they were like, Wait, we're done. Right. They run out of steam, and then they add 3D on this one, and it explodes overseas, and then the like JK JK Final Destination Five. It was supposed to be full finale, and that's now it's getting rebooted. Your top ten for Bright Star. We're done. Fran, wow. Fran, we did it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We did oh, it. Fran. Um, can I plug some poets that I know? Poet time, baby. I complained about poets a lot when I was in my graduate program because they lived around the corner from me and drove me insane. But the fact is that the economy of like doing poetry as your job is basically the same now as it was in like 1818, except mm-hmm. there are more types of jobs people can have that they can do while they're doing poetry. It's, it is funny that this 
like there's this idea of like you used to be able to make a living doing poetry and now all poets are broke and you watch this movie and you're like nah, it's never been like a booming industry no it's like even now it's like maybe there are three professional full-time poets you got to get the laureate yeah yeah the laureate and then two guys who should have gotten the laureate right, right the um, runner-ups but i went to school with a lot of great poets who i loved and i just want to sort of there's Shout if you want to read out. books tracy fuad has a great book called about blank on a portnoy Brimmer has To Love an Island. Ananda Lima has Motherland. These are all books that came out if you're like, I want to read an 80-page book, which is a great length of book to read if you're like, I feel bad that I don't read more books. But then Spencer Williams, who does stuff at Bright Wall Dark Room with me, is an amazing poet. Sydney Jin Choi, Weston Ritchie, Walter Ancaro, Emily Luan. You could Google any of these people with poet and you're going to find a bunch of their stuff. And these are like... Poets who I think are amazing, who are all working in different forms and doing stuff that excites me when I see and hear about it. And it's tough because I think what makes poets now, not unlike then, is getting the book deal. But that is a really, really hard thing to do. So most of them publish online and for free. It's free for you to read. It's the one benefit that it is easier to distribute poetry these days absolutely it is no easier to monetize it right and i think and i think poetry is deceptively accessible too and i like the way you know she writes keats explaining like when you dive into a lake the goal is not immediately getting back to shore Mm. it's being in the lake and i think people are like i don't understand poetry poetry makes no sense and it's like i think that's because you're looking for like a three-act structure in a poem when they don't have that whereas poetry almost more like it's a quick bite of content like oh i don't even god. know how what word i would use to describe oh my god wow i can't believe i can't believe you name? would summon it um that's what katzenberg should pivot to 100 billion dollars for poets yeah that'd you be think good kids want to read poems while taking a shit or waiting for a bus maybe maybe, maybe they do yeah poetry's good who am i to say they aren't yeah i love poetry shout out I to edgar Allan poe Sure. Trying to think of some other he poets I like. Yeah, he needs it. <laughs> Poe's Poe's been hurting. <laughs> That's true. He does need the attention. Actually, you know what? Poe, he's a great. Um, you can Dang visit a, a ditch in Baltimore where they found him. <laughs> there you go. Is that ditch true? history? Ditch history. <laughs> Rich history. Ditch history. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Fran. <laughs> Yay, fair enough. enough. Fan, yep. Fran, you're Fran. I'm a you're fan. fantastic. You're Aww, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for gracing us with your presence and uh, kindly gifting us with another uh, Fran bump. Happy to do it. Ready uh, for truly. for our Brightster episode. To you just guys need it. Suplex struggle, the struggling podcast. I know you do. Pop culture happy hour. We're just gonna fucking <laughs> <laughs> give him a pile driver this week. This is one of my favorite movies. Had to have Fran. Yeah, I was saying this is probably the best movie I've talked about on here. Not to discredit Aliens, but uh, I mean you've talked about some good movies. You've talked about know, some but pretty I good just movies. Pretty lucky. Right? About the holidays. I know. Do you well, mean, that's like, a perfect movie. Right. Sort of in another class. Well, Public Enemies is like the worst movie you've covered, and it's a pretty fascinating film. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I, look, you so kindly and generously plug uh, some of your favorite poets, but you should plug your own work that people should read. Fran Magazine. Franmagazine.substack.com. It's so good, guys. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm ready to get bought out, though, after three weeks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Someone should, right? Oh, yeah. Katzenberg? Katzenberg, if you're listening. um, Is that the Wordle deal? Oh, I would take low seven. Um, Yeah, franmagazine.substack.com. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd, Mm. all under my own name. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Brightwell Dark Room always has great stuff. I haven't done anything with them for a sec, but great I'm editing stuff. and I'm helping out. Yeah. Uh, you 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 were very involved in the Margaret issue, right? No, I wasn't involved really? in the Margaret okay. issue because I only just watched Margaret probably three months ago for wow. the first time wow. and had a meltdown. Yeah, it does that to you, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, I can never sit through this again. But that issue is incredible. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. No, I wrote for um, Best of 2021 on The Souvenir Part 2. Mm. Perfect movie. Uh, which which cut of uh, Margaret did you watch? I watched what was, whatever was on Criterion when it was on there. So I think Directors. Okay. Is that the good one? I disagree with some people, but I also just think you, it's They're interesting to watch both of them. They're all yeah. good. I want like New World style, like five cuts of that movie circulating. Sure. That and there movie are really other cuts unset- that just have That movie noticed. unsettled the shit out of me so much. I can't oh, yeah. think about it's it too hard. But oh, in like four years, I'm going to come back to it and watch it like uh-huh. three times in a week. And then I'll be like, I'm in. Uh-huh. Can he make another movie? His Howard's End is so good. Can I plug his I've Howard's End? I need to oh, fucking watch Matthew that. Oh, Matthew McFadden. Yeah. yeah. Folks. We love them. And we love our friend. We do. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Uh, Alex Barron, AJ McKeon for our editing. JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research. Uh, we have a website now. We will, there will there's a web there will be a website now by the time you're listening to this. I mean, I think it's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be uh, so just check social media for a website which now contains all the things I used to have to spend 25 to 45 seconds plugging individually. But we should say that if you go to patreon.com/blankcheck, you can get blank check special features. We're about to go back to the matrix. Yes. Back to where it all started. Back to the matrix. Yeah. Have you ever, gone, have you ever gone back to the matrix? I have. David's giving me the wrap it up fingers. Uh, next week, power of the dog. We fucking caught up to present arf, day. Arf. Woof woof. Oh, uh, off the leash. Uh, excited, excited, excited. Uh, uh, so yeah, tune into that. And as always, Hulk Nighter, come back. But every time we we tell the story every fucking time. But in the early days of the show, we went in for a meeting with a big podcast network and they were looking at our numbers and they said, who is the guest on this episode? You really do say this you every say this time. Every time. It's, it's so funny. This out it's of sort of, episode, it's so funny. No, this, we can't. And he was like, for my this first This is embarrassing to me now. Because I have no job. Where is this man? I want have a job. <laughs> I want to say something that's new.